Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I pull up in our invisible jet to discuss everything from the Amazon Princess to Amazon Madness. Yes, in this two-hour-plus installment, we talk Wonder Woman, the motion picture as well as the comics, the virtual fire sale Marvel is having on Amazon, Batman and Bill, the documentary on Hulu, and comics like Deadpool, Bad Blood, Punisher Born by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, Moon Knight, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, Spencer and Locke, XO Manowar, and much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, how are you, sir? Well, it, it's, uh, well, first, let me just say, the health caveat is that, um, thanks to the oh, lovely change in weather... Um, I'm kind of at that uh, time of year that seems to break out once every few years where um, I'm kind of uh, asthma-y, so I apologize in advance for all the times that I will uh, miss the mute button to harumph and cough, because usually it'll be in the middle of the sentence, almost like this one. But other than that... That um, was like a real-time... Like, that was a great uh, explanation and uh, description of what you're it was going to be like. I really like that you were like, let me demonstrate right now <laughs> what this is going to be like. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, so you, you're in for a treat, everyone. And, uh, fortunately, <laughs> this is a wait what? So I'm going to have to edit my stupid mouth Hooray! later. Yeah, you are safe. Yeah. Lucky, lucky you. And how about yourself? Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, yes. Mm. It feels like it has been like months since we did the podcast why is that no no i'm the same way it was like i remember that thing i used to do with graham where we hung out for hours it's only been like one week exactly we had one week off and yet as i was sitting down to do this i was like it feels like it's been forever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely just thing i mean part of it is uh, the holiday weekend last weekend actually really did sort of knock me out in a weird way. Mm. All week I was off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, I was also off because, spoilers everyone, uh, 95% if not more of everything I've read last week was Wonder Woman. Wow. Because, like I've just read so much fucking Wonder Woman. Um which also made that kind of weird week, if you know what I mean. It was it was literally like, okay, I'm writing about Wonder Woman, writing about Wonder Woman, I'm writing about Wonder Woman. Done for the day. I should read some more Wonder Woman. <laughs> I'm writing about Wonder Woman. I'm writing about Wonder Woman. I'm done for the day. No way. I should read some more Wonder Woman. I'm writing about Wonder Woman. What am I doing tonight? I'm going to see Wonder Woman. And it really was like, <laughs> this week is so fucking surreal, you guys. Every single day feels like Groundhog Day. I bet. Well, so just out of curiosity, what exactly did you learn from all of that exciting Wonder Woman reading? Uh, you know, I learned in, in this, I, something that I was kind of aware of before, but wasn't quite aware until like doing masses of reading and rereading. Uh, the Greg Rucker year one stuff mm-hmm. is a really fucking graceful reinterpretation of everything that's been there before. Hmm. It, it's, it doesn't like it's not it's it is a retcon in that like they change things that were not the case before, mm-hmm. but everything comes from what came before. Hmm. 
in a way that like I didn't realize quite as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the changes he makes to the mythos are for the better. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I you're not reading the the Rock of Wonder Woman. No, right? no, no, not currently. No. Um. So he uh he brings back Steve Trevor, which I think is is. I'm not sure if it's important, but I like it. Like, I like the Steve Trevor part of the origin. Mm-hmm. That, that he is the, the instigating incident and that he is the reason that Diana becomes aware of the outside world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he removes the Golden Age thing where Diana is just, like, literally she sees him and he doesn't even say anything. She's like, I love him. I'm going to follow him wherever. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Perez went completely, like, completely to the other direction by going, there's no fucking Steve Trevor. Like, she doesn't meet Steve Trevor until after she's left. Mm-hmm. But uh, for Perez, she leaves because um, she's basically been told to by the gods. Like, Athena interacts with her before she leaves the island and is like, you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. You, sh- you should do this. You should definitely enter this contest and you're going to win. And and that kind of uh, robs her of some agency, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Rucka like undoes that as well. Mm-hmm. But also, but for so for Rucka's uh, Wonder Woman, she wants to leave because it's important for her to try to be her best and the best, mm-hmm. not in an egotistic way, but because that's what you do. You try and be the best you you can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unlike the Silver Age story, wherein the contest is is a complete fix because she has been blessed as a baby by the gods mm-hmm. to be faster, curse smarter than everyone. Uh, Rucka doesn't give her those powers until she's in America. Mm. The powers come to her when she has like she has arrived. She's come back with Steve Trevor, uh, and she's basically been locked up because everyone's like, "Who the fuck is this person?" We don't know who she is. We're putting her in prison. Hmm. She gets the powers that night. Hmm. She gets visited by the gods that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I like that's a really smart move to me because it does restore her trying. I guess like mm-hmm. the need for her to strive mm-hmm. because she does superpowers before the contest. She actually has to like this comes from her training. This comes from her effort. Right. As opposed to, she is naturally just better than everyone else around her. Right, right. You know? So, yeah, there's there's lots of that. Um, reinserting, like, what I think Rucka does with uh, Dr. Cyber is a great reinterpretation. What Rucka does with Poison is a really interesting reinterpretation. I mean, the Poison stuff is very Rucka. To go from, she's a mad, crazy science ke- uh, scientist chemist, to... She is a paramilitary person who just out, do you know what I mean? Like, that's very rough. <laughs> kind yeah. of more rough than she's actually a soldier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but it's an interesting take. And, it, and he, he does a callback to the original by going, she comes from a family that has started this organization called Poison. So she's not called Dr. Poison, but she's part of Poison, mm-hmm. which was started by, by her family and involves chemical attacks on people. Hmm. You know, the Dr. Cyber thing is instead of, you know, again, ridiculous, fairly generic mad scientists, uh, Dr. Cyber is now an artificial intelligence. It's a, a virtual ghost of someone who died while plugged into a computer. 
Uh, and you know, you get, he brings Veronica Kale back in from his own run, mm-hmm. but finally gives her reason for, for giving a shit about Wonder Woman mm-hmm. that, that goes beyond the vague, she's jealous of the original time she was there mm-hmm. and takes her on the, the mad scientist that she was in the 50, in the 52 series. Mm-hmm. So he, it's, there's a lot of, you know, he knows these things have to be part of the, the puzzle, mm-hmm. but he will change them in ways that aren't drastic changes, but just make more sense. Mm-hmm. You know? And and the entire thing, and I I, I won't explain this because like this actually spoils his entire run. Mm-hmm. But his entire run is based around the idea that the Wonder Woman take on Ares mm-hmm. and on the God of War is not is you know everything you know is wrong. Hmm. It's not what you think it is. And that the Ares, she herself meets in, at the end of Ruckus year one arc, which, so like issue 12 or something, mm-hmm. who is the traditional Ares that, that is, has been in Wonder Woman since Perez, mm-hmm. um, is not all of Ares' story. Mm-hmm. That there's much more to. And at the end of, what is it, issue 23, I think is the most recent one. Um, Wonder Woman as Avatar of Peace, Mm-hmm. Her relationship with the God of War is significantly different from anything in her 75 year history. Hmm. Uh, because Ruckus' take on what it means to be the God of War is significantly different hmm. from anything that's happened in Wonder Woman's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, so it, it's, it, more than anything, like all of it gave me an appreciation for Ruckus doing some really fucking great work reinterpreting the tropes while acknowledging that the, these things have to be present mm-hmm. in, in the mythology. Uh, other things that came from it, I really like old Wonder Woman comics, much more than I thought. Mm-hmm. And by, not even the classic quote-unquote stuff, but like even the, the Conway run that ended up the, the book before Crisis on Infinite Earths, I thought was a, a very solid book. Hmm. I thought I thought it was like a genuinely, surprisingly solid book that I think suffers a lot from having Don Hick art, and mm-hmm. it's particularly Don Hick, uh, kind of funning it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but there's a lot of nice stuff there, you know. Uh, more, yeah, I think more than anything, I came out liking Wonder Woman more, hmm. liking Wonder Woman comics more. I also because that was literally, you know, ninety five percent of what I was reading, mm-hmm. um, came out of it exhausted about Wonder Woman. Like I went in film going i'm kind of done with wonder woman for a while right right you know well i haven't seen it so uh can you give me a spoiler free take on what you thought of the movie or uh, spoiler free impressions mm-hmm. um i said on twitter after seeing it that like it's not perfect but it's probably my favorite superhero film mm-hmm. uh and it, i i it i want to say like because I think people will go, well, what about like it's it's a film that falls apart at the end. Oh, like the, cl- the final climactic battle is far too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it steps into the flaws that lots of superhero films have that Wonder Woman hasn't had until that point. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really any parts where you're like, well, now it's just you know two fucking CGI characters zapping each other with lasers mm-hmm. until climactic battle. Uh, which just is just too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, it feels 
like it kind of felt like it had to do that part, mm-hmm. and it's it, it didn't. Like it's a much more interesting film and a much more enjoyable film mm-hmm. before that. Uh, it's sorry, what were you saying? No, no, no. I think I was just mm-hmm. we're we're thrown off maybe a little bit. I feel like you keep the the end of your sentences just getting clipped a little bit and i'm like uh come on internet you can do this but i've i've basically just been doing my usual mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sort of thing okay let's, let's follow with them um no i really liked it uh gal Gadot is she uh, again this sounds like i'm completely just bad mouthing her mm-hmm. but she's more convincing here than she is in batman versus superman but that's not saying a lot because Batman vs. Superman is kind of a weird film. And I don't think anyone is particularly convincing in that film. Um, uh, the Amazon stuff in Wonder Woman is great. Mm-hmm. And you'll go, oh, I'll happily watch an entire Amazon fucking movie now. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Probably the same with uh, Lucy Davis's Eddie Candy, who steals the fucking show. And she's in it for like two scenes. Like almost all of her stuff is in the trailers. Mm-hmm. Wow. But but it's because it's that good. Like mm-hmm. she's just great on screen. Uh, Chris Pine is really good as Steve Trevor. Hmm. Steve Trevor gets a lot of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still clearly a sidekick, mm-hmm. uh, but he gets a lot of the film. But he carries it off. He does. He he is given a lot of work. He has to be the love interest. He has to be the second banana. He has to be the uh, you know the inciting incident. He has to be the comic relief. And he he does it. He does it all remarkably charmingly. Mm. Um, there are there's problems with the direction. Patty Jenkins is a little bit too in love with going to slow motion for no reason in the middle of a fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you can kind of see that in the trailers. Mm-hmm. Like you, there's fight scenes in the trailers where you're like, oh, wait, she's all she's doing is swiping a leg. Why is that in slow motion? And that's like all of the fight sequences in the film, mm. which are you know thrilling but at any given point it will randomly go into slow motion <laughs> you know and you're like you don't need to do this this much like it's actually it cheapens the slow motion mm. when you just use it all the time like literally you know one room is doing anything slow motion yeah unfortunately graham i haven't seen the movie but i just as a fan of john woo movies i pretty much have to object to that statement so you know <laughs> i i, I, I Okay, two questions. Are you going to go and see the movie? Yes, although I have no idea when. So uh, it, it'll probably be soon because I actually had a friend who was like, okay, okay, I'll let you take me to Wonder Woman, you know. And I was like, oh, that's very gracious of you. And then the screens were sold out. We were going to go in the middle of this week to the Alamo, and the Alamo is sold out. So so we'll it's, see. The well, So I went first night. I went Thursday night. Um, and I, cause I went to the Baghdad theater around the corner from my house, mm-hmm. I went to a lot of like first screenings of genre movies there. Right. This is the most excited crowd I've ever seen mm. for a movie. Uh, like people were just fucking psyched to be there. They're in the Wonder Woman t-shirts. They've got the tiaras on. They've got the, the ba- bracelets on. Wonder Woman does like, there's a, there's a, are really they're very smart about when they use the iconography in the film. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil it, but like they basically keep her out of her costume mm-hmm. uh, for a large chunk of the film, mm-hmm. and the first "quote unquote" reveal feels 
very impactful because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, like there were fucking cheers. <laughs> and it's just like seeing her as Wonder Woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of people I know, including Kate, including my wife, who cried seeing her kick ass in this film. Mm. Just because it's not what you see. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't see a woman unapologetically be the hero mm-hmm. and and fight her own fights and not get, um, you know, there's not a man telling her that she's wrong, basically. And in fact, it purposefully goes, it purposefully points out that the men are supporting her. Mm. You know? Um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's good. It's a good film. It's it's a film that I really enjoyed. It's very um like spark for parts of the film. It's a very pacifist film. It's a very like war is terrible because it hurts people film. Mm-hmm. You know? And sure, like I'm going to I'm going to be predisposed to that anyway. Do you know what I mean? Never mind the Wonder Woman part of it. It could be random power woman. <laughs> And they're like, well, you know, here, here's our, here's our pacifist take on things. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, yep, I'm here for you. <laughs> so yeah, I, I liked it a bunch. It's, it really like the end is, is kind of a mess, mm-hmm. but, but I don't care because it was charming as shit. Isn't it, <clears throat> isn't it, I think though, the case that most superhero movies are kind of a mess at the end? You know? Yeah, well, that's just it. That's one of the reasons why this feels messier. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like so many other superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, you mean, you're mean you saying the ending feels so much like superhero movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the rest of the film doesn't. Mm-hmm. And one of the smartest things this film does is there's no fucking Easter eggs for Justice League. Yeah. Do you yeah, know what I mean? There's really no point where they go... And now I've got a mother box and I'm going to bury this mother box and I hope no one finds it. There's <laughs> none of that. Like all you get is the only connection to like the wider DC, whatever it's called, extended universe, I think it's called, mm-hmm. um, is that Bruce Wayne censored the photograph from Batman versus Superman. Mm. That's it. And that's literally the framing device of the film. Hmm. She gets the photograph and she's like, I remember rest of film mm-hmm. and that, that's it that's that's the extent of the, the connections through other films and it's so much better because of that mm-hmm. because of film in and of itself mm-hmm. yeah you know at no point at the end are you like wait so i've got i'm not gonna see justice league next well or even or even the next wonder woman movie i mean god knows that uh, thank god there's at least I just remember the horror that is the the Green Lantern movie in that regard, you know, where it's just like, yeah, the, the end is just like it's Sinestro, you guys, it's you know, fucking Parallax, it's all of them, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. it's I I uh, last year watched Green Lantern again mm-hmm. for um basically to do a. How is Batman vs. Superman a different start to DC trying to do Marvel than Green Lantern is? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how are films different? Uh, and I had, like, I remember liking Green Lantern. And then I <gasps> oh, watched really? it. Oh, really? And then I watched it again. I was like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, so so, like, bad. I, 
how did I convince myself that I liked this film? <laughs> or like, or even worse, did I like it? I just like, like everything I said at you know 2010 should be completely distrusted because I like this film. I would say I, yes. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> genuinely staggered by how bad it was because I, not that I was like, oh, it's a forgotten piece of genius. No, no, no. But no, I remember, no. I remember being like, it's not as bad as everyone says. Oh, and it is. Oh, yeah. It is as bad as everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did end up seeing it on TV when we were somewhere, like just turning it on and watching for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I think Edie and I were traveling because we don't really have the TV in real time here at home. And, uh, just being like, ooh, it, it, it was so painful. And it was kind of in the, middle section it wasn't even the opening or the closing or anything but it was just it was just excruciating like have you seen the whole thing yeah yeah yeah. i saw the i saw the whole thing uh me and my friend mojo went and saw it in the theaters like toward the end of its run you know which i think was only like what two weeks so you know, we were yeah, there. Like a week or two, and everyone was like, nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were like the only people in the theater. And even then, I mean, that was kind of like laughably bad, I think, but yeah. there was a little bit of the seeing it on the big screen gave it a certain feeling of, it's not that it was any better, I suppose, because it wasn't. It was terrible. Oh, no. No, but it's there's something about seeing a shitty film in the theater where you do feel that it's better. Because you're like, well, it's kind of more like a film. Right. Because then you see something on the TV and you're like, well, this is just terrible. Yeah, exactly. But you can see something on the big screen and you're like, yeah, but it's a film. Right. You know, at least it's big. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. At least they thought to project it. Thank God they got but that no, right. But I, like, if, you know, we're being sarcastic, but I also kind of mean it. No, no, I do get it. I mean, because you're right. There's stuff that you see in the theater and you're like, ah, oh, you walk out being like, meh. And then later you see it and you're like, I think there is something where you see it on TV and you're just like, holy fucking shit, this is terrible. And and I wish I knew what it was. Like I said, if it's just the big, again, seeing it on a big screen gives it a, a just that extra patina of glamour or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels more authentic. I think there might be something where it's easier to get lost in the moment when you're watching something on the movies because it's so overwhelming. Cause I remember seeing green lantern in the theater. And one of the things that struck me was that ev- everything with Peter Sarsgaard was terrible, but I wasn't really willing to think that Peter Sarsgaard was terrible. You know what I mean? Like there was just, <laughs> yes. There, yes. Cause, cause it was, he was like, Cause he was acting. Peter Sarsgaard is not a bad dude. He came up with some stuff and, you know, he made some, he, you know, he tried to straddle that choice. line. Yeah. He made some choices and you can kind of see him in the screen. And it's like, Oh, this isn't, but then when you see it on TV, I was just like, Oh, holy fuck. Like, why didn't anyone why modulate him or him? warn him? Yeah. Why didn't they stop him? Like there was just that thing where it's like, it's, you know, it's very important to me that when I'm in pain, I shriek like a girl. And it's like, no, that's maybe not just the best movie. He's like, no, 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 no. I have to be physically and re- I have to be repugnant on every level. It's very important to me, Peter Sarsgaard. And everyone's like, maybe we should bring this in just a little bit. And you know, Peter Sarsgaard is that guy who's like, mm, no, I'd really like to take the, have you seen an education? I really want to be just as gross as possible here. I'm good. I think I can do this. 
Okay, I'm going to begin my high-pitched shrieking. And, uh, oh, so bad. So bad. Yeah, yeah it's, a terrible it's, movie. My version of this, actually, was Avengers, which is, is you know, let's be completely up front here. Avengers is nowhere near as bad as Green Lantern. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm really glad you said that, Graham, because I'm like – but. Yeah. But no, I like I really liked Avengers in the theater. Mm-hmm. And then I remember watching it on Netflix like not that long afterwards and being like, Oh, this is terrible. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. Because because yeah. the, the if nothing else, like I was much more aware of like how incredibly badly paced Avengers is. You know, the thing that I think is interesting is is I remember watching Avengers in the theater and being just like utterly underwhelmed and then walking out being kind of like, <laughs> like a spring in my step. Like, you know, just like I, I, I was underwhelmed by that the same way I'm underwhelmed by Avengers comics. It's natural. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, whereas Avengers age of Ultron, I remember being like, Oh, that was pretty goddamn good. And then watching bits of it on like TV or something and just being like unable. Oh, like, I, I, was I, like, this I, I don't, is I, I don't think I'd ever be able to revisit that. Yeah. Cause I just, I remember being in the theater and just being like, Oh, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. that's it. I still think I liked that more than like Civil War, and I have watched Civil War again. Hmm. Interesting. I think I think I, I could be proven wrong because I feel like I've watched bits of Civil War maybe via Netflix or some something. Not the whole thing, but I was like, yeah, this is okay. I mean, honestly, I, I but I think there's something about the. I don't know. It's I. I don't think that I necessarily can excuse it per se. Like I just don't think. It, it's weird because there's, you know, I think with Avengers Age of Ultron, some of the stuff that I liked were there's some little granular bits that I like quite a lot. And then it, there's a sea of mediocrity and then there's just atrocious pacing. Um, Civil War for me, just mostly I don't I can see a lot of people making the case that it's not very good and in fact there's a lot of people who just are kind of like yeah but i i honestly i think i think i could watch that one again and i don't but i don't know i I, it's weird i just maybe it's just the sad part is is that kind of strange dial tone of of uh of uh atmosphere is just suits me i'm like yeah this is serious film i like it I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. The the movies that you find that you you know with superhero movies now that there's so many of them. I remember back in the day before the superhero movies were a genre, and it was really easy to defend what you liked as a superhero movie because there were only like ten of them. You know what I mean? So <laughs> if you were going to like more than two of them, one of them was going to be shit. You know what I mean? It was like there was one good one. There was one that, you, you know, pretty much everyone agreed was good. And then there was the one that was shit. And you just couldn't say anything. Like you're sitting there, you're having pizza with someone. And the guy's like, oh, man, fucking dark man. And you just have to hold your tongue because you're like, what is this poor bastard going to do? You know? But now that there's so many of them, it is pretty interesting that I find myself being like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Civil War, it's it's pretty good. It's no Winter Soldier, but, yeah, it's pretty good, you know, and it, it, we're totally getting off Wonder Woman. Hey, here's a surprise. We get ourselves sidetracked. But you saying that just makes me go, isn't it kind of amazing that, like, the Captain America movies in particular went from the high of – Winter Soldier to Civil War. 
See, this is my thing. I again, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think that I. No, can I don't. I don't even necessarily it. mean like. I don't even necessarily mean as in like it's the worst film ever. I mean, like Winter Soldier is very much a Captain America film and is a relatively focused film and has a relatively, I mean, not wildly different from the other Marvel movies, but specific tone. No, it's it's got and a civil specific war, tone, yeah. And mm-hmm. Civil War feels very much like an Avengers movie. Yeah, I can see that. I I guess I can see that. I think that I think there's something to be said for that. I think it's a very if if it's an Avengers movie, in the sense it's more like an Avengers comic book where the writer is a big Captain America fan. You know what I mean? Like he really does make choices. His choices do inform the movie. There's watching Civil War. I'm went into it. I remember being impressed that it's as much of a Captain America movie as it feels, you know? And I mean, really considering the source material, they did great stuff with it. But, and the weird part is, is I really watched, I could not have been more bored by the first Captain America movie. Like, Maybe 20, 30 minutes of it were great. So, you know, I think Winter Soldier was just such a happy surprise for me. And I'm a little worried that it may end up being an anomaly. And let's face it, Winter Soldier, as much as I enjoy it, really does not. It falls apart by the ending as well, in part because there's just there's so little to hang the Cap and Bucky relationship on that it's very hard to believe that. That that Steve Rogers is as invested in his friendship with Bucky as as you're meant to believe that it is, especially considering the stuff in the first movie where you're like, oh yeah, those are two guys who shared a cigarette at least twice. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Anyway, Graham, let's just talk about superhero movies over and over and over again. The good ones, the bad ones. Let's just the ugly ones. The ugly ones. Yeah, like like what? So. Green Lantern, would you say that that's like the worst superhero movie? There's probably others, of course, especially if you start counting. Uh, oh, I, I, or, it's, it's the worst. You know, yeah, brand. exactly. Is, is it the worst superhero movie since like uh, like Spider-Man? Sure. But like, like, is it the worst superhero movie ever? No, of course not. Green Lantern? Well, it's up there. Uh, by And by no, Spider-Man, right? like do you Green Lantern. I mean the, the um, Tobey Maguire one, the, the 2002 one. Oh yeah, the original Spider-Man you thought was a terrible movie, huh? Yeah, no, but I, I, I guess what I mean is like, if you look at that as like the origin point of the current superhero trend. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. So you're saying like Green, Lan- of the Green Lantern? Era. I, I would say Green Lantern God. is probably the worst since those. I like, but is it really? Because is it worse than like my super ex-girlfriend? Probably not. Well, that's true. My super ex-girlfriend, that is. Yeah, once you get into the off-brand stuff, it's a little hard. That's what I mean. Like, well, you know, yeah. if but like, is Green Lantern worse than, like, X-Men Origins Wolverine? I'm not sure it is. Well, yeah, it's true. I didn't watch that one. And it's true The oh, man, even even the Wolverine sucks. I'm serious ass. Oh, man, that was, that movie sucked. Days of Future Past sucked. I just want to talk about the, I, let's I, talk about I, the I like movies. Days of Future Past. Wait, oh no, wait, no, I'm sorry. What's the, what's the Brett Ratner one? Oh, um, uh, X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah, sorry. Which That's does the suck. one that sucks. That really sucks, yeah. Yeah, that one That's was like, horrible, like, but you're right, like, Days of Future Past was. Green yeah. Lantern is, is, is a shitty film. It oh, really it's so is. Bad. It's really, it's but, terrible. But, like, I'm not sure it is worse than, like, X-Men Origins Wolverine. 
Or, for that matter, X-Men Last Stand, which you're right, is really, really, really bad. Yeah, Last Stand is terrible. I would say that... Last Last Stand is... Like, Green Lantern is... I don't know. I'm almost making an argument for Last Stand now by saying, like, Last Stand is, like, breathtakingly stupid in almost every decision it makes. Whereas Green Lantern is dull very often. No, I, I, I... See, this is why I'm inclined to to disagree with you if you look at green lantern you think green lantern isn't boring in parts green lantern is boring but the thing that to me that is worse is is that green lantern is clearly a a part of what makes it so terrible is is that it's not even it's not even like um it's not like a, a bad movie which is a shit sandwich you know what i mean it's a shit appetizer to a shit sandwich where it's like you're served <laughs> this thing. No, that, that's actually a very, very, very good point. Yeah. And I think that's the part like last stand I, I is, is execrable, but it's also like part three of two other movies. There's a little bit of things that you can sort of forgive it for, for kind of being up its own ass. The part of the problem with green lantern is it's so clearly doing things that it's, it's like already like this is going to pay off so well in movie four, you know what I mean? And you're just like, no, I just, I, I refuse. I refuse just, and, and I mean, they, they did a lot of, and, and it was, it was very specific conscious choices of like, why is why is Hal Jordan have to have the longest set of training montages ever? And it's like, well, because that way we get to introduce all the members of the core that's going to make it pay off later when you Exactly. Know, like so stop playing groundwork for Green Lantern movie three. Exactly. And that that part is really terrible. I will say that I like I said, I just want to talk about the shitty movies. Is that when you said <laughs> since Spider Man, I was like, ooh, he's got a point. The reboot with um Andrew Garfield was terrible. Oh, that I, movie. I I I'd prefer Andrew Garfield as a Spider Man to Tobey Maguire. Oh, but me. that said, Amazing Spider-Man Two in particular is. Uh, oh yeah, I did see that one. That You're film. right. That one was even yeah, worse. Like, yeah. yeah, you fight to finish that film. That film again might rival Green Lantern. Yeah, that that movie's really close. I remember, I remember watching Amazing. Is it Amazing Spider-Man? Is that the difference? Is it Amazing is, Spider-Man? Is is his series? Yeah. Okay, so Spider-Man yeah. One, Two, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two, Spider-Man Three. Right. The Amazing Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man Two, and now uh, whatever the new one's called, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming. Homecoming. Yeah, Amazing yeah. Spider-Man. Man 2, I remember watching just the opening action sequence and feeling my soul throw up. Like, you could, did, I could did, actually. How far did it. you make it in that film? Did you make it to, to Jamie Foxx's Electro? Uh, yeah, in theory, I watched the whole thing, but I don't remember where, when, or how. Like, it's really through the fog of trauma, which may be <laughs> that I was like stupid high <laughs> when I watched it, or it was just <laughs> shitty. I mean, like, I just remember it being like, this is never ending. Like, I just, it got to the point where anytime any of the main characters showed up, 
um, I cringed. Like Paul Giamatti, would they do a close up of him? I'd be like, Bleh. then they cut to Jamie Foxx, and I'd be like, Bleh. and the thing that's great about Amazing Spider-Man Two is when you watch that film, if you were watching it with like the sound off, and aliens were looking at it and only possessed a rudimentary knowledge of cinema, you would be absolutely one hundred percent convinced that Electro and uh, the Rhino are supposedly the heroes of the movie because the reason why I hate both Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 is even though Andrew Garfield is, I think, actually incredibly good as Peter Parker, they decided to make him high school age Peter Parker, and the dude is 29, so they yeah, shoot him. Yeah, I, and also, they, like, they really go heavy on the angst. Which yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there, a there's so many, there's so heavy. many bad decisions in those yeah. films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's the, you know, his, what's going on with his parents? Yes. What's the secret that they Oh, know? the secret of the like, parents, that was bad. Oh, it, it really was. It was like, there's so much stuff that Brian Bendis does really well in Ultimate Spider-Man. And they're like, eh, we're going to take all the shit stuff, you know? Like, eh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, that's a good call terrible but for me ultimately the problem is is because andrew garfield is like 28 and is supposed to be playing 16 they film him from halfway across the room they cannot do a close-up on him to save his fucking life to save anyone's life and so therefore it's it's not just that he's angsty he's angsty in a way that you just can't you can't they take out one of the the basic tools of cinema to make you identify with a character it's it's just like you know what i mean it's he's be that's watching the amazing spider-man movies i can't even imagine that might be one of those where if you try seeing them in the big theater it feels like you're watching them on tv because he's filmed from so far away and then when <laughs> you watch them on TV, tv yeah it's oh, oh okay okay so what about Josh Trank's uh, Fantastic Four? Where does that fall in your your list of terrible things? Oh yeah, that's pretty bad. I, is, I mean, that really is. That is that is terrible. I feel like I feel like I walked but, uh, into that one expecting terribleness. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but do you not remember? Like both of those are like, yeah, but it's interestingly terrible. Yeah. I mean, well, that's it. I, there is, I guess the one thing that I thought was interesting about Fantastic Four were there were the occasional choices to try and make it something different that if they'd stuck to that, it would have worked. You know, they kind of wasted their cast. They wasted everything, but it's not, it's really, I mean, and as bad as the movie is the excruciating last minute reshoot where they're like, okay, we're going to make it look like these are the fantastic four, you know, in love was like, right. Horrible. What made it such an interesting, oh. interesting failure was like how obvious the failure was. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, the, how obvious the reshoot was and how obvious they were just like, and here's where we stopped making, here, like, here's where Josh's film stopped. Yes. And here's where someone stepped in. Yeah. Exactly. And very like, um, Suicide Squad, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I, I, I've said it for us again. I like Suicide Squad, even though I know it's a terrible film, but it's so clear where they're like, and this is the reshot part of the film. Right. And this is the original film. Yeah. And this is the reshot part of the film. Mm -hmm. And this, and you're like, holy, like, can you not, could no one make this more coherent? Right, right. No, I mean, I mean, uh, Fantastic Four really is terrible, but yeah, it is interesting. I'm like, yeah, I didn't, it, it would be a while before it would, like, I feel like there's other movies that are worse before for whatever reason. And I don't know why. Uh, cause, cause it is, it, it, thinking about it, 
so many things were terrible, but I will say that there, I think because it's kind of so heavily compromised, it's really hard to say where it, it like, sort of like Suicide Squad. Like there's a point where you're like, well, that was a bad decision, but you kind of can't tell if there, that was the original decision or that exactly. was the regassing. Exactly. That's, that's a bad decision. But is it, is it the movie's fault? Because you know that like, you know, Josh Trank didn't do that. Right. It's it's the weirdest thing. This is actually something that makes me super um anxious implies more interest than it's actually there. Very curious about the Justice League film, mm-hmm. given the news about Zack Snyder. Right. Um that's going to be a real that's going to get a really weird reception. Yeah, given I, what we know about its creation. Yeah. It I uh because, mm-hmm. I feel that I feel that anything that happens now. Like, if there's any levity in there, it's going to be, will Joss Whedon put that in? If there's any tonal dissonance, and let's face it, Zack Snyder makes films that have whiplash in terms of tone. Mm-hmm. Like, all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. But people are going to be like, yeah, but which part is Zack's and which part is Joss's? Yeah. Like, it's, it's going to be the, like, part of me is like, I almost wish they just weren't putting the film out now. Because it's going to be the weirdest fucking film. Oh, it's, yeah. well, and the reception right. is going to be so weird. Yeah. Well, I think in a way it's, it, sad. Oh shit. <coughs> oh, I, I muted myself when I didn't mean to and then unmuted myself and coughed. And then off the road. Perfect. Side. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Signed, Jeff. Uh, I, I, I mean, Justice League is, there, it almost feels like a get out of jail free card, which is horrible because it really is. I'm one of those people where it's like, the whole thing which is Zack Snyder and his daughter is a horrific tragedy. It's just absolutely terrible. And I – it is very hard for me to – at that level of personal tragedy uh, – and for those people who don't know listening to this podcast, I feel like it's almost impossible that you can't know. But just in case, uh, my understanding is is that uh, Zack Snyder and his wife, who's the, the – the producer or one of the producers. Uh, she, she's one of the executive producers. Yeah. Uh, had to bow out of Justice League, which was moving into, uh, would have been in post-production, except they they were doing the reshoots, uh, had to bow out because of uh, their daughter committing suicide. Oh, it was kind of a while ago, wasn't okay, it? Okay. So, so what, what happened is mm-hmm. the daughter committed suicide in March. Okay. And both the Snyders basically decided we'll bury ourselves in work. Uh huh. Like this is the way to get through it. We're just going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movie is in post production. Okay. And they decided that there was there was going to be reshoots because of course there's going to be reshoots. Yeah. But the reshoots were going to be a, a chunk of time, mm-hmm. and we're going to be abroad. They're going. I think they're going to be filmed in the UK, and. The Snyders have a number of other kids. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to say I heard someone say it was like seven. It's like seven children? children. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I could be wrong. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the number I heard someone mention. Um, and the the basically Zack Snyder was like, I think I'm like I have to stop. Mm-hmm. I I cannot actually imagine leaving my children alone. Uh, right now, you know, for any length of time, mm-hmm. uh, and I can like that. I I can't I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I don't know if you know this, but Warner's essentially said we'll delay the film hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. They were like, you know, take your time, come back whenever. And he was like, no, 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 you can't delay the film. Uh, I'm just going to step away from the film. Mm-hmm. And and so Joss Whedon, who is working with Warner's on Bad Girl, right? Um, and apparently had already been working uncredited on Justice League. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, basically, was like, I'm going to finish the edit. I'm going to do the reshoots, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to do the final cut. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those like just shitty, horrible situations because I can totally understand the, I'm going to bury myself in work to get through this right thing. Mm-hmm. And also on the flip side of that, I can totally understand the, oh, I can't. I can't, <laughs> right. This, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually have to stop. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so, so with all that being said, I guess what I'm trying to say is part of me is like, they, it's hard not to imagine Justice League getting a number of passes, I suppose, in its coverage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's one of the things that I was was meaning before. But also I think it's going to get a lot of like unearned passes or like not even passes, but like weird excuses. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this film doesn't really make sense well. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. they're, 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 this, this tone doesn't match up well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's going to be, become this weird oddity of a film. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, you know, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it works out. I mean, if Wonder Woman looks like it's on track to open well, if it continues to have it, legs. It's definitely on track to open well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it was initially aimed, at, Warner's initially said they're targeting 70 million and right. it looks like it's going to be over 100. Yeah. Yeah. I think it went from 70 and they revised it to 90 maybe was my, was my understanding. Uh, based on, among other things, some really good reviews and really positive tracking. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that they, I think it's tough. It's, it's fascinating to me that, um, that DC is still like really just continues to have is exceptionally um, bad luck in many cases with the way that uh, some of the, the movies are slate is developing, but you know, we'll see, at least they are going to keep doing it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other signs, sadly there's, you know, uh, flash, I forget, lost at least one director, maybe two. Flash has lost three directors at this wow. point, Jeff. Wow, three directors. Three. Yeah, that's, that's just brutal. And Aquaman has lost one, right? Didn't James Wan was going to do it and bowed out? No, or? no, Justin Lin, Justin Lin is doing it and he's always been doing it. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Alright. I thought for some reason he was... No, it was, it was like rumored. I want, like it was when... Mm-hmm. It was after the, uh, the second or third Flash director dropped out. Um, there was like a heavy rumor campaign. Right. And of course, the, there's all this Affleck rumors about the Batman movie and Affleck. Well, that's just, and then Affleck whatever. dropped out as director, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's a cursed slate at this point. It's mm-hmm. kind of amazing that Wonder Woman is not only as good as it is, mm-hmm. but also as popular as it is, mm-hmm. when you consider, like, generally people hated DC's movies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, they, they had no positive buzz. 
and for one woman to get the reception that it's been getting, it's kind of amazing to me. Well, I feel like a lot of people saw Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, uh, and it one came, came away going, Wonder Woman was the one good thing. Exactly. I mean, I felt that way. So. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, you know, something that I did see that, uh, I thought I would mention that you probably have already seen for what, or is, uh, we saw Batman and Bill, which is playing on Hulu. Um, oh, I've not seen it. It's, it's a Bill Finger documentary, right? It is. It is, but it's, it's, it's very well done. Uh, it's one of those things where, Hmm. The framing device is, oh God, I told myself I was going to look this up, um, and didn't, uh, the guy who wrote the book on Bill Mark Finger. Mark Tyler Nobleman. Thank you so much. I feel like such an ass. Uh, he, he is sort of the narrator and the original focus uh, of the movie. It starts as his, um, battle to uncover the, the whole story. But what's great is, is it goes on to take a couple of twists that I did not know about and builds to some stuff. It's a really well done documentary. Um, yeah, highly I highly recommend it. I will watch it out. Yeah. Yeah. I it, think it's, it's on Hulu, you said, right? Yes. It is on Hulu. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and people, it's definitely worth, I think there was maybe one commercial break that they threw in 10 minutes in and then it was just straight through all the way through. Great. Really absorbing. Really interesting for those people, you know, um, and it really, the thing that I really was impressed with, I walked away, like, I want, like, I never knew that this, that I, I could want something this much is I really want them to do a fictionalized version of this story just so that Gene Simmons can play Bob Kane because there's Wait, Gene, Gene Simmons. Yeah. Gene Simmons of Kiss. Yes. Yeah, should play totally play Bob Kane. They have their their accent what? is it's really close. Their accent is really really close. Bob Kane sounds remarkably to me like Gene Simmons. Like it's it's not one hundred percent. That's I I did not I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> so what you're saying is. Bob Kane in another reality would have created shit. What were his, what was his comics called? Zipper was one of them. Oh God. Gene Simmons Dominatrix was another one. <laughs> What's that one? Gene Simmons Dominatrix. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. Um, maybe. Another one. What was? Oh God, I'm gonna have to look some up now. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> well, no, you know the story about Gene Simmons and, and San Diego and me, right? No, I don't think so. I mean, or if you told me, I forgot, which is a shame. Uh, Kay loves telling the story. I am doing a panel in San Diego, and this is years and years and years ago, because Kate was there, which mm. means it must be like the first or second San Diego I was at. Mm-hmm. And someone comes up to her, and they're like, do you know Graham McMillan? And she goes, as it happens, I do. That's a very weird question. And the person goes, I represent Gene Simmons, and Gene Simmons really wants to meet him. Uh, can Can you make it happen? Oh my god, I have not went, heard this it went, story. It went nowhere from there. Mm-hmm. They didn't, like, give her any way of contacting me. <laughs> they didn't give me any way of, like, contact. It was nuts. There was, it was literally a, like, when he knows this, it will somehow cosmically work out. And it never did. Wow. Wow, no, I don't think I knew this story. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, when he does contact yeah, you. Career. Oh my god, in 2002, 
he launched a magazine called Gene Simmons Tongue. <laughs> that's, that's Wikipedia. His televi- list of television appearances is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like his comics aren't listed on his Wikipedia page. What a shame. Yeah. Well, because I kind of felt like, didn't he contribute the titles, but his son did the writing, yeah. or was his son the artist, or House both? House of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's house, uh, hang on. I think I found, I think I found the 2007 press release that launched it. Okay, here they are. Gene Simmons House of Horrors. <laughs> Zipper. Dominatrix. It's not Gene Simmons Dominatrix, it's called Dominatrix. Which, here's the description, and this is the greatest terrible description ever. Are you ready? I'm ready. TNA meets CIA in a conspiracy and cleavage-laden <laughs> series. <laughs> oh, man. Um, mm. And in the race of the galaxies, a contest of racing champions that takes place in deep space on alien worlds and features a cast of millions in a tale that appeals to young and old alike. I don't think that ever appeared. It's kind of a shame because that's the one where I'm like, oh, I'd totally pick that up. Jesus, like, I, I know that I know that House of Horrors did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you can tell it is because in this press release, House of Horrors like actually has a creative team. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to I want to say Zipper did as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Dominatrix or Anti Race the Galaxies. I feel Dominatrix, Dominatrix did. Well, I think that's part of why you thought it was called Gene Simmons Dominatrix because you probably saw the cover where it was like Gene Simmons apostrophe dominatrix and just from a distance you're like holy shit gene simmons dominatrix oh oh my god so i've now found another press release for gene simmons dominatrix from the following year wow okay because idw picked up the the collected edition wow idw of course they did though especially 2008 idw come on Mm mm-hmm uh, the trade paperback, which includes six stories that were originally run as individual comics issues, is written by Sean Taylor, and here's the best line of this press release. Who also authored Fishnet Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know, that's probably the best line of the press release, but yeah, I just, I love the idea that Sean Taylor's wife was at a Comic Con, and suddenly was approached, and, uh, was sort of like, do, do, do you know, are you related to Sean Taylor? Do you know Sean Taylor? Do you know Gene Sean Simmons Taylor? Was, you know. Exactly. Oh man, that could have been the best. Just imagine if you'd been called into the room. What year so was it, this? So it must have been 2007 or 2008. If oh, this is when he it's too them. late. Damn. Cause, Cause I just love the idea that he's like, you, you are the person that I want to write dominatrix and you're like no not really no i'm not <laughs> exactly I, I, I nothing about this makes me feel happy gene simmons <laughs> what, what thing gene simmons please tell me what gave you that impression so that i may change it immediately please <laughs> oh, oh man, man. yes yeah, so that, that's my gene simmons story so but that's that, yes yeah, so, there you go so bob kane uh could have invented dominatrix and wow. zipper yeah. I will Zipper is so great as well. I hope that Zipper, like, was a super speedster. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's so funny. It's like you said Zipper, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm sure it's like some deformed serial killer that has, like, sutures all over his face. Like, it's basically like uh, Christopher Maltasante's, uh horror movie that he writes, 
you know, for uh, Z- Zipper is on Comixology, Jeff. What? Oh man. Yep. Oh. <laughs> International superstar Gene Simmons creates his own version of the classic Stranger in a Strange Land in this first collection of his all new science fiction's title, Zipper. What? After a daring escape from his other dimensional home, the Nether the Nether Ether? The Nether Ether? Mm-hmm. Denizen Zen Ryle finds himself on planet Earth, lost, alone, curious, and confused. Protected only by a specially equipped exosuit, Zeng Ral sets out to explore his new world, finding both allies and enemies, all the while desperately evading those who would hunt him down from the nether ether. Fucking shit, Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons ripped off Shade the Changing Man. What kind no, of fucked up I, shit is that? I'm stunned. Gene Simmons didn't come up with an original idea. It's not so much that. It's the idea. Actually, I love the idea that, you know, at this point, I wish I could pretend to be Gene Simmons and call in and be like, you are very wrong. In fact, I was ripping off Fantastic Four annual Day of the Dragon Lord, which is my favorite comic of all time. So, uh, okay, Gene Simmons, what other titles do you have? Surprisingly, Gene Simmons. Zipper versus Dominatrix. Yeah, Arcana uh, Comics there is, and Simmons there Comics is, Group. Oh no, great. I'm, I've got to read the description Simmons of the Zipper Comics versus. Anthology. <laughs> Zipper I've versus. Discovered... Okay. Oh. Mm. What are you telling me, Graham? I want to know. I want to know. Come on. Oh, okay. Sorry. I think we're out of sync here, so that's part of the problem. Okay. Arcana Comics and Simmons Comics Group present Zipper versus Dominatrix, The Slave Trade. Collecting the three exciting chapters in one volume. Wow, three exciting chapters. Zipper and Dominatrix, two creations straight out of the mind of Gene Simmons, get wrapped in a straight world. Straight out of that mind, Jeff. Yeah, straight, straight out. out of Just like, get wrapped in a world of sex slaves and conspiracy. Can the alien and the TNA agent work together long enough to save innocent lives? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. The TNA agent? Yeah, Dominatrix. CIA meets TNA. Remember? Yeah, but no, you're telling me that TNA is actually meant to be an agency in this comic? Maybe. I don't... Probably. You know, unless that's... A oh, name. no. Yep. Oh, no. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay, we're wrapping up this podcast now. We can't go any further. Comics has been forever defiled. And I say that knowing the tarot Witch of the Black Rose or whatever it's called exists as a comic... Somehow this seems worse. I don't know why. You know why? Because Tarot, Witch of the Black Rose. It's is... not what it's called. Am I getting the name right? I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, okay. I, I'm not too worried about getting it wrong. But whatever it is, I thought it was Tarot, I, Witch I, of the Black I, Rose. I'm actually very concerned if I've got it right is the problem. Shit, I did. I got it totally right. Wait, Tarot, what is it called? And I blew it? Tarot, Witch. No, we're both right. Tarot, oh. Witch of the Black Rose. Yes, right. Exactly. That... That book is an amazing read. Like, uh, that one is levels of, of Jim Ballant just, I don't know, going for it, I guess, in multiple senses of the term. God help me. Uh, you know, I, I remember, I, I honestly remember the one copy that would come into comics experience. Hibbs would read it. I would read it. I don't remember. I think some poor bastard would buy it, but, it you, was. No, you sent that home with me once. Oh, did I? <laughs> Back when you worked the Comics Experience, 
Um, and I was just starting on Savage Critic. Oh my god. I would go into the store, and you and Hibs would be like, okay, you have to read, like, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And there was one time where you particularly were like, you have to read Tarot. And I was like, I'm not reading Tarot. And you're like, no, no, no. You have to. You genuinely have to read this comic. Yeah. And what I remember than anything was, it wasn't terrible. Like, mm-hmm. it was, but it wasn't, like, so terrible. Like, it wasn't, oh, God, you have to read this terrible. It was just bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, I feel, I feel almost disappointed <laughs> that this is not worse. Interesting. Well, so perhaps that's perhaps you were the Gene Simmons comics realized there was a need, a need not being filled by exactly. there's a niche for shittier comics. Sh- shittier. You've got to hit the bottom of the barrel. Graham McMillan, I have to say, this is a very odd uh, installment of our podcast. Um, it really is. I, before we started recording, mm-hmm. I was actually like, I have no idea what we're going to talk about this week. Because I've just fucking read one Roman comics. And then I honestly thought, we should have just put a call out for questions. No. <laughs> yeah, we should have put a call out for questions. Nah, we got plenty to talk about. I haven't even talked about some of the, I have not even talked about some of the comics that I've read, which I'm looking forward to doing after we talk about our pal, uh, the crackhead Marvel comics and their mystifying sale currently taking place on Amazon. I, that's wacky as shit to me. For people who don't know, this may still be going on mm-hmm. when you when this episode drops. Amazon has an astounding digital comic sale for Marvel titles. Yeah. And when I say astounding, I mean you can get an entire collection of a current Marvel title for cheaper than an individual issue yeah. of a Marvel comic. That's right. That you can get right. like collections for like two dollars. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, that, that's, that's like a single trade. I actually got both volumes of Al Ewing's Ultimates, like two trade paperbacks for $4.20, which is approximately the price of a $3.99 comic with tax f- factored in. Right? It's yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and, pri- and, and it's been going on for days now. Yeah. And everyone keeps being like, well, it's going to finish tomorrow. And it, but I mean, it was never announced. It was never well, that's announced. it. Maybe this is just the price of these comics now. What, this is the thing that is actually crazy is, is that, that people really like enriches coverage on Bleeding Cool. He made it sound like people honestly thought that this was, uh, like a pricing glitch on Amazon. That's how low some of these prices are. Like you can get like the World War Hulk trade for a dollar eighty. I think you can the 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 first um unbeatable squirrel girl trade is like a dollar and forty cents. One dollar forty for a trade nuts. paperback, not a first issue, an entire trade paperback. It is so weird. And it's I mean it's it's really it's a it's across the spectrum. You know, I feel like uh there was a lesser version of this sale. Um, last year, you know, I really wish I was better at keeping track of the wait, what archives. Cause I definitely remember talking to you about a point where, but I, I feel like maybe that bled over into like it was on the sale was on comiXology and the prices were so low. Yeah. That's what, that's what happened last time. The, mm-hmm. the, there was a sale on comiXology and somehow Amazon was cheaper. Yeah. 
Right. And, and it was kind of like, wow, that's crazy. But there was a certain amount of speculation. I still feel inclined to believe that, that we have secret empire to thank for this. Um, uh, because I really do, I, I, I'm personally convinced that there are some, there's a, an, there's a report, there's an annual report or semi-annual quarterly fiscal report that's coming up and Marvel uses these sales to juke their stats either to boost their bottom line to make it look like they are hitting their dollar targets if if someone's not looking you know because the digital stuff is completely um you know, I mean, it's, it's all profit. At this yeah, point. exactly. I mean, it's, it's literally one of those things you fold it into the publishing line. Everything looks nice and robust and people don't look and see how bad the, 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 the stats are being juked. But also, I also wonder at this, it, particularly with this sale, because everything is priced kind of insanely across the board, but there, there are books that are st- Startlingly low. I have no. Uh, I I the, cannot. The shock for out. me is that it's really recent stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. I I I I almost could be like, sure, of course they're doing like trades for two dollars if it's books that are a couple of years old. Right. But like you could get entirely up to date with almost any Marvel title for like five dollars. The clone. Um, the by five dollars, I mean like you know multiple trades. Yeah. No, 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 exactly. Multiple trades for that amount. You can get the clone conspiracy trade that collects the clone conspiracy storyline, you know, that is a huge number of issues. It's about the same size as the crazy um, Spider-Verse uh, crossover thing. You can get that for $5. I think that trade is relatively new. It's... So, well, it's got that storyline only finished like three months ago. I know. And that's the thing that's crazy is they rush it out in trade and suddenly you can buy it for less than the, than the price of what you would have paid for two copies, you know, two issues of the fucking storyline. If that, you know, and, and, you know, and have a few dollars left over. It's really weird because it is, it's across the board. And like I said, I thought for some reason, like, the fact that the cuts with Squirrel Girl or Spider Gwen are so deep. The other thing that I sort of wonder if there's some weird, like, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Those are my only theories. But I'm, sh- I, I, I tweeted about it just very briefly. There's plenty of other people, of course, who have been tweeting about it for the last couple of days. Um, but it is, it is staggering. And I have to say, I basically, as as a guy who cut loose of all of my actual physical comics, and I have Marvel Unlimited, but so I know you're going to make fun of me, but some of these prices were so low is that I was like, you know what? It is actually worth it to buy the trade. As as you know, we've been talking about how reading the tr- the digital trades are is actually a little more convenient than reading it on Comicsology. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been I've just been I just basically kind of like, okay, like, I don't even remember what I paid for the, um, Cy Spurrier run on Legion for this, but like, I want to say like each volume was maybe a dollar 80 or something like that. I mean, it's st- 
stupidly I it's kind of it it I do not know what is going on, but it is weird. It is really genuinely weird and I would love to know what's going on. What really someone knows why this is happening and I'd be really curious to to know. If anyone is curious, I just looked up the clone conspiracy in print on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And in print is thirty seven dollars. So you're saving thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and keep in mind the Amazon per, print price seven. is slashed, right? Right. So if it's thirty seven dollars on Amazon, chance are it's fifty dollars. Yeah. Yeah. At least. And you can get it for five dollars. Which so I want to say seven, because I did just look it up now. Oh, is it seven? Jesus. Yeah, which huh. might mean that they're changing the prices? Uh, no, or I could be wrong. Here, hold on. Let me see if I can find my my little Amazon receipt and see what I paid. Because I'm, sh- believe me, if there's if there's one thing you can always count on, it's that Jeff does not remember numbers. Uh, yeah, seven bucks. Right. So I'm off. Also, Graham, still you're saving thirty dollars. Seven. I know. I like, know. I, I'll pay those extra $2 if I'm saving 30 still. Well, see, or, that's and that's 30 it. off the Amazon price, cause like you said, chances are the, like, suggested price is $50. Well, let's see. Let's see if it says what the suggested price is. It must. Do, 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 do. Yeah, Clone Conspiracy, the hardcover as a, a slash through the list price of 60 bucks. $60, and you can get it for 7 Seven digitally. Is like, that... literally, that's almost a tenth of the price. Yeah. Yeah. That's astounding. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to mention it for people who are kind of like, uh, you know, and somehow, I don't know, you're away from the computer. You don't, you do, you, you get all of your information from podcasts. You should well, go over and check it out just to make sure. If, I mean, I mentioned it to you and Matt you, Turrell, and I yeah, was shocked that I Matt had heard. Yeah. Matt almost convinced me because, as you know, I am pretty much of the I have Marvel Unlimited. Why would I spend extra money to get things that aren't a Marvel yep. that are a Marvel Unlimited? But Matt pointed out, like you can get West Coast Avengers issues in this, which aren't on Marvel Unlimited. That's right. If I didn't already have the Marvel trades, you know how you were talking about uh, you'd been reading those issues of the Thing, right? Um, there's two the trades, collection, right? Yeah. There's two trades of the thing. Uh, uh, those first 10 issues are, uh, by burn are put into two trades, um, that digitally you can get for $3 a piece. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. You I can... mean, that's, cause again, that's not in Marvel Unlimited. Huh. And part of me really is like, and this is a, you know, the worst reason ever. But part of me is like, I might get them just because then I can fucking use them for this Tumblr. Right? That's, Graham, first off, any bad worst reason that you have, I can beat. Because I've made absurd justifications to myself in the last 48 hours for some of the stuff that I've bought. It is, it's, it was, it was dire. It was really dire. So... Um, but that's probably, uh, that's probably a discussion for another time. But the thing that's crazy, the thing that's crazy is, is like, for example, they literally have recent and popular from Marvel Comics, like Old Man Logan issue 23 is $3.99, right? And I bet you the, I bet you the trade is like 150 The Old Man Logan tr- trade is... Volume, shit, where are you, you motherfucker? Volume one is a dollar eighty. 
Volume I mean, two is a dollar eighty. Volume three is two dollars and sixty cents, and volume four well, then, is two dollars. Well, I'm, not, and I'm 60 not getting cents. volume three then. Come on, that's just unreasonable. <laughs> right, but so literally for three dollars and sixty cents, for like thirty cents less, you can get like what the first eight issues, the first ten issues, the first eight issues of Old Man Logan for the price of one digital copy. It's it's insane. It it really is kind of creepy. Like there is something there that, like I said, I actually pray that it's them trying to prop up their numbers or something. And like, like you said, the idea that those are the permanent prices because there's no sale announced is, um, I can't even tell you the kind of weird shudder that my body did when you said that because it, it, it really was kind of like, you well, know. I mean, that can be the case because you're literally telling your audience, don't buy digital comics anymore. Don't buy digital comics. Don't buy from comic book stores. Like, no, it's, it's really, it's just, uh, it's, they're desperate. And that's it. It, yeah, it has to be a freak sale. Yeah. There's like, there, there's no way it can't be a freak sale because otherwise Marvel is literally giving in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just I, like, yeah, you don't, you don't actually need to buy like our comics until the, until the collections come out. Right. Because. Like, we are literally going to be offering you six issues for the price of half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's shame. This Silver Surfer Epic Collection, the Infinity Gauntlet, collecting Silver Surfer issues 51 through 66, annual number four, and material from Marvel Comics presents 69 and 93 through 97, 488 pages is $4. It's insane. <laughs> It's insane. <laughs> it really is. It's kind of, it's kind of disturbing. It's kind of disturbing. Um, yeah. So. I, when you said, like, Marvel, we haven't even talked about Marvel. I thought you were going to talk about the uh, revival of Runaways. Oh, yeah, right. That came out. No, that doesn't, that, I mean, is, is that something that you're interested in, Graham? I'm interested in it for this reason. Mm-hmm. Runaways getting revived. And don't get me wrong, Rainbow Rowell, hooray. She's a YA author. I know lots of people have a lot of problems with her. But I think that she genuinely could bring a new audience to Marvel in the same way that Tanahisi Coates did. I, I think there really is the potential for that level of crossover. And Runaways is the perfect property for it. The concept of reviving Runaways and the new take is, how are the team going to get back together? Made me really sad. Mm. because in the same way that every time you see Power Pack now, it's, and now they're in college. <laughs> part of me's like, well, it's, part of me's like, but that's like, they're great concepts as the original concepts. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you do the, where are they? Ten years later. Yeah. That's nowhere near as interesting anymore. Yeah. Because then it's like, what, there are 20 something disaffected superhero. Sure. Right. We've seen all of that shit before. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. They are like preteen superheroes. That's great. Give me more original fucking power pack concept. Mm-hmm. Give me more runaways where, you know, they've basically like if you can reboot runaways, I would rather read that than would read out what they did next. Yeah, that may be part of the reason why I'm not especially super interested. I, I have to admit, I just don't. Part of me is like, I don't, I, I don't know. I, 
honestly, because I, you know what it is? I never followed Runaways off of, uh, uh, after Brian Vaughn left, you know? Because the story was over. Yeah, exactly. And I, I say that as someone who read the Whedon run mm-hmm. and was like, well, this is six issues of like treading water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and read and enjoyed the Catherine Eminen run, mm-hmm. which literally got killed four issues into it. Wow. Because they were like, oh, let's just pull the plug. Story's not over. That's fine. Did they ever finish it or did it, I mean, oh. what? It, wow. They never finished They never finished it. See, and that's also another thing that I think is, is a poor choice, kind of. Well, I guess that's probably part of the reason why you can do, in theory, you can do 10 years later. Not that you would want to, but at least in theory, the person can wrap up the story, like, from a huge distance. Like, just have someone say the conclusion in a sentence or two. But but that's just it. You've seen The Runaways since then, and that's exactly what they did. Oh, did they? Like, they they used them, like, a year later. Mm. And they're basically like, hey, remember that crazy thing that happened? Oh, right. You know, well, you're like, oosh. <laughs> Especially because, like, the end of um, Eminent Runaways, and I say mm-hmm. this as if it was an end and not literally the cancelled amid storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I can't, honestly can't remember when she died, but Gert was seen alive by Chase and led him in the middle of a road where he was hit by a car, and it ended with him in uh, emergency care. Hmm. And then literally he's around. He's like, hey, remember I thought I saw her. She's definitely not alive. <laughs> like, hey, that's that's awkward and weird, but sure. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, one of the things the new series is going to have to deal with is, like, they used Nico in, oh, what was it called? The Battle Royale. Of yeah, Avengers the Battle Royale, Royale comic that, that a uh, lot of Avengers people Arena. really liked. Oh, I should actually. Uh, I'm like, and then, hmm, let me go down. Like, if that's cheap, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, but they used it in Avengers. The user in Avengers, the user in A Force, right? Oh, right. They used X Men books. Mm-hmm. Like they've used the characters elsewhere, and so now they've also got to do a like get the band back together story, and it all just seems like, you know, we've seen all this. Like, why? Like, if you've got Rainbow Rowell and you've got Chris Anka. And they want to work together. Mm-hmm. Do something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just fucking do this. But of course, there's a fucking Runaways TV show. Of course, they're bringing Runaways back. Right. Of course. Crazy. By the way, in case you were curious, you can buy all three trades of Avengers Arena uh, for six dollars and sixty cents digitally. Uh, to be cynical, I think that's roughly what it's worth. <laughs> Some people really liked it, although I don't, I don't know lot, how people, people felt really, about Volume 3. Really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. No, a lot of people really liked it and liked to follow up as well. Yeah. Uh, it just, it didn't really land for me. I, I ironically, uh, well maybe not ironically, I think you'd like it more than I did. Yeah, that's kind of what people kind of kept coaxing me and that's why part of me is like, hmm, 660, eh? Hmm, but I don't know. Well that, that, that's just it. 660 or you know that's what a comic and a half for marvel i know i know it's it's kind of stunning it's so sure why not it's yeah. 660 right yeah no it is it's believe me i've been saying that for way too often over the last couple of days so um yeah really interesting very 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 interesting shit uh and then I guess if you don't mind, uh, since we still have the time for it, I, I thought I would talk very briefly about the comics that I have read 
sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cause some of them are weird, weird batch. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you to determine, uh, if you can guess which ones I read strictly because I impulse purchased them on the, uh, on the sale. So, uh, first up is Deadpool Bad Blood by, uh, Rob Liefeld, Chris Sims, uh, that other guy and that, the that other can't, guy. Chad Bowers, that can't be, um, in the sale. That's got to be full price somewhere, right? No, it's, it's like $3 or something. And, and of course I say no. that and we'll say that it's just six. came out like this week. Yeah, hold on. Uh, Deadpool Bad Blood is $3. It's three dollars digitally. Yeah, the last month. That's I, insane. Yeah, three dollars. Uh, and I have to say, uh, for three bucks, I only feel <laughs> Did you get your money's worth. I I only feel about a buck fifty cheated out of the whole situation. So oh um, no, oh no, is it that bad? <laughs> it's it's. I think. Well, I think it's pretty bad. You know, the thing that surprises me is that. Uh, I think Chris Sims is a really funny guy and I think maybe part of the problem is, is that he and Chad Bowers are, I don't know, scripting over Liefeld's story. Like it's, it really feels like it's Liefeld's, um, you know, Liefeld did the art, but he also plotted it. It's his whole thing. And I'm sure he's the guy who was also kind of like, it's, I think it's the least funny Deadpool comic that I've ever read. It just wasn't really. Yeah, I was expecting it to actually have laughs, and it really—it's and got it doesn't a, even. But it doesn't even ha, even have like laughs in the dialogue that aren't necessarily plot related. Like the the there is no ability to bring in the laughs that way. No, I mean that's the thing for me. There's a couple of there's a couple of in jokes, I suppose, like a couple of nerd references that maybe people would find funny. Maybe I didn't think they were that funny. I really didn't. And then the rest of it, no, Deadpool is really dull. I mean, it's, he's not, I've, I've, as somebody who sort of appreciates Deadpool from, I don't know, I want to say a distance, but I mean, this is, it was, it was, it was a really kind of dull comic. I think it's kind of interesting the way that, Liefeld in telling the story comes up with kind of a plot that, although it doesn't really necessarily make sense, allows him to cover Deadpool's different phases. Like there's a significant flashback where it's Deadpool um, crossing paths with X-Force, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, knowing Liefeld, it wouldn't surprise me if that was something that was, you know, 10 pages of an X-Force graphic novel that he didn't really, you know, feel like going any further with and then figured out how to fold it into this. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, I'm missing the point. This is clearly, you know, a Liefeld book for people who are fans of Liefeld. Fans. Liefeld. Yeah. yeah. You know, and honestly, there's a few points where I thought that Liefeld's storytelling on this was I mean, there's parts that are, of course, are really clumsy and bad, but there are also parts where I was like, oh, that's an effective bit of page layout that is actually uh, dynamic, but is a storytelling choice kind of thing. You know, like I was like, mm-hmm. okay, 
Rob, Rob Liefeld can draw some comics. That's kind of nice. But I really was surprised by how underwhelmed I was by it. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I have an incredibly bitchy thing to say about it that I just, I, I, I'll tell you, Graham, but I'm going to, I, I heads up, I'm actually going to have oh to my remember that at this time. Okay. Hour. All, all I ask is this. You include all of this and then in the podcast itself, you just play some music over what you say. Oh no, that's. Jeff. Yeah, I know. That is so shitty. That I is... really want to say that on air, but I just can't. So oh, that's that's um, impressive. I mean I, I am genuinely like that I feel like you've leveled up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, in case Jeff actually includes all of this apart from what he just said, your eyes would be wide with <laughs> how impressively bitchy Jeff just was. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm a terrible human being. Anyway, I read uh, I read the three issues of the current run of Exo Manowar, uh, based on your recommendation. And uh, what did you? Think? I I enjoyed them. They're very is very interesting because I have to say two things. One is is that because uh, this is um, this is Matt Kent doing the storytelling, yes. and. First off, as you pointed out, the art is gorgeous in it. And what I thought was interesting is, is that there's a couple of, there was a splash page on page two that was such a, um, to me was like such like almost classic seventies comics, like Tomas Giorello doing something that looked to me like it could have appeared. It would have been in black and white, which would have been bumped. It, I, take it back. It could have actually appeared in a Marvel super special from like 1978, just kind of that gorgeous kind of like semi painted, semi airbrushed kind of thing that just looked lovely. Like I was like, Oh God, it's like Val Merrick and Mike Plug had a love child who actually had all of their strengths and none of their weaknesses. The story, um, I feel like you mentioned that it was kind of very much like uh, sort of Brandon Graham's uh, prophet, you know, in the sense of it's a space Conan story. It's interesting to me how much it harkens back to, at one point I was like, oh, it's kind of like John Carter of Mars but sort of without the tits and without the forearmed guys. Like there's, it's definitely Kent is working from the tradition of earth warrior goes to space and kicks ass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and particularly earth war, you like earth warrior who's kind of exhausted by war goes to a planet that is 
buried in war and and kicks ass. But also how much it reminded me, without it being any of the um, – there's no one particular thing that is like, oh, this is like that. He clearly stole this from that. But the level of just – High paced action, 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 super flat characterization, action, action, action. Oh, he's in a fucked spot. Oh, this spot's super fucked. Oh, just when you thought that he was super fucked, he's triply fucked. It reminded me a lot of, uh, of early Rogue Trooper, weirdly enough, which is really, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I, I would not say I got the Rogue Trooper out of it at all. Well, cause but... I think you would have a better sense of what 2000 AD type series I'm actually thinking of, you know what I mean? Cause, cause, Rogue well, no, no, it's, it's for me more than anything is that, uh, for 2018, especially for Rogue Trooper, there's, uh, it's too slow. Mm-hmm. Like the 2018, especially like 1980, 2018 has like an incident every four pages. Right. Because they have to. Each episode is five pages long. Right. Well, the, but once you get past for issue one, which has the super slow boil, issues two and three, and particular what struck me is this idea of, you know, Exo is thrown in with a group of other rogues on an impossible mission. And their characterization really does make rogue troopers, uh, various talking ammunition and supplies seem like deeply layered you know what i mean like uh because they're just like i'm i'm the mean one i'm the one who's devoted to my brother i too am devoted to my brother i'm the sniveling coward one and then and then they all do this stuff where he tells them what to do they all do it and then at the end they're like you are the best we will stand behind you we haven't we won't forget what you've done and it's literally basically that level that doesn't go any deeper than that. Oh no, exactly. You know I mean? It's it's for it's a comic for people who liked Planet Hulk, but thought Planet Hulk takes a little bit too long. Yeah. Can I have less characterization, but also beautiful fucking art? Well, beautiful art, and I really do have to say that Kint in in each issue is kind of a okay. Here's the impossible situation. But it's even more impossible because there's also this, like, I think you might remember in like the second issue, it's like, okay, you got to approach, you know, after you've, after you've made it through the impassable minefield, there's supposed to be a moat field with flesh fish. And on top of that, there's like an unstoppable genetically engineered battle Borg. But I think that's just a rumor. It doesn't actually exist. And of course it does. And you guys don't even actually get weapons because, you know, we don't actually, we can't afford to actually equip you. Go. And then he throws all that stuff at, it literally that level of like, oh, this is impossible. This is even more impossible. This is even more impossible. How's he going to get through it? Answer. He's a badass. And yeah, exactly. How's he going to get through it? He's literally just going to grit his teeth and do it. Yeah. But I mean, even in a way that's a little clever of like, oh, okay. So he's going to take a, he's got that grappling gun that remember from issue one. Of course, he's going to fire it into the battle Borg's nethers or whatever. It's, it was, it was very satisfying. It's in, in the sense of, yeah, it is, uh, it really isn't trying to be anything more than it 
is so far. Oh no, it, it, it knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly what the, what it's it's there to do. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so I really I really enjoyed it. Reading the three issues of that really was kind of like, um, uh, yeah. Thank you for the recommendation. I I, I'm it. very curious uh, how it's going to progress because do you know the structure of this book or not? Uh, well, I got to the end of the arc where he goes from soldier to general, so I sort of assumed that he, that they might be following the Space Conan thing of he's gonna make his way up to Emperor or something. Yeah, and they, and they've announced it. They've announced that it's going to be four three issue arcs. Mm -hmm. Each arc is going to have a one issue epilogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, but they announced the titles, like, before the series launched. Mm hmm. That it's so, oh god, I'm trying to find a press release for it. Well, it'd be soldier, general, I don't know what they would do after that, you know. But. Uh, um, come on, where, this was all over the place when it was announced, and of course now, I can't find the press release. Oh, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is, is that for Exo Manowar, they keep, they keep the Manowar part out of it, his special armor, um, at least so far. Special, special armor can now talk as well. Oh, which I didn't know was whether that was a thing. So he talks that, within that, issue that, that's, one. That's a new thing. Yeah, and that which, which I kind of like because part of me is like, ooh, you're pretty close to being able to go startling-ish if you want to go here, which, you know, I would I be. think he will. Do you not? Mm-hmm. I, I think – well, it depends on where you know, he I, wants I, to. I can totally see – I can totally see this end, ending up going yeah. startling. Yeah. I cannot find for the life of me this – uh, keep talking amongst yourself, Jeff. I'm trying to find out. Yes. Uh, what else did I read, everyone? Uh, Deathstroke. I finally caught up issues 17 through 19, and I really enjoy what Priest is doing on that series, especially issues 17 and 18, where he builds to a lot of the subplots go exactly where you thought. And what I find amazing about it is, is they're sort of satisfying, but it's also so soap opera ish. Like, mm -hmm. like we're, we're used to thinking of superheroes as soap opera, but I mean, this is like, oh, this is this is much more so. Yeah, it's like telenovela levels by the time you get to issues seventeen and eighteen. So I I have two I have two follow ups from that. First of all, it's not a follow up, but it's uh, the four arcs of Exile Manowar are Soldier, General, Emperor, and Visigoth. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, and they announced like all the artists and everything before the series launched. Wow. Which is kind of insane to me. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is, have you, did you read the Teen Titans Deathstroke crossover? Well, this is the thing that's a little exasperating is, is that issue 19 is part three of the Lazarus contract, which is mm -hmm. just like part three. I'm like, this book comes out every two weeks. How the fuck did they jam two issues in between this? You know, so, uh, so I'm in. It's cause it was a, it was a weekly crossover. It was Titans, Teen Titans, Deathstroke, and then Teen Titans special. Oh, I see. Okay. That makes sense. And I have to, I really impressed at the way in which Priest again takes the stuff that he has. You know, he's kind of a basket weaver. He's got these individual scenes that he's been weaving in and out flashbacks of that are coming together and being more cohesive so that even though it's part three of a crossover, the, the death strokes goal for the Lazarus contract makes perfect sense. And by the time you get to the conclusion, 
of issue 19, which is three parts into his storyline. And I guess the part where he reveals why he's doing what he's doing, it, it kind of makes sense from where, like where the character's at emotionally at that part in the storyline. You're like, in terms of the larger arc that priest is doing. So, so in that so part, I, I kind of liked it, you know, would you like me to spoil uh, the teen Titan special that follows that and finishes the story? Or, or are you going to search it out? I will say, in perhaps in favor, it is written by Priest. The final part is written by Priest as well. Oh, I might. I might. But you might as well go okay. ahead and spoil it. So I don't think... Uh, one of the things I loved about this crossover, and I really I was surprised by how much I liked it, is how well all holds together. Mm-hmm. And also how well Priest does with the kids' superheroes. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think he has a really good take on Teen Titans. In there. Um, also, the final chapter significantly changes all three books, mm. but makes it feel, orga- feel organic. Mm-hmm. Um, Slade goes back in time to save his son, mm-hmm. and it just keeps going wrong. Mm-hmm. He keeps saving him, and then something will happen. Uh, you see his son basically not believe that it's his dad, mm-hmm. and as all, he ends up dead again. Um, he, he then... Ultimately, he ends up pulled back into the present by mm-hmm. by the superheroes, um, but uh, gives up. It's just like, fine, this whole thing's pointless. I I fucking quit. I give up being Deathstroke, and that's the end of the story for him. Hmm. He's just like, I can't bring my son back. You know, I I have failed as a father. I quit being Deathstroke. The end. Right. Hmm. And just walks away. Mm-hmm. Um. They bring him back by basically fucking up with the timeline. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the Titans book now has to deal with the fact that Wally West has a pacemaker. <laughs> and he's like, when did I get a pacemaker? And they're like, oh wait, we changed history. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Which is kind of a really great twist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, god, what was the Teen Titans twist? Oh yeah, Teen Titans twist, they throw um, Aqualite off the team. No, the throw kid flash off the team, sorry. Ah. Huh. Because because Robin's just like, you fucking idiots. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. Let's take advantage of you. You're off the team. Yeah, I, I actually did like again, because it's you know, Priest did the the script for issue nineteen, but it's plotted by him and Abnet and whoever Ben Pepsi. Right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And uh so the um there's a just a great little interchange between where like Robin's chewing out uh Wally West or no Kid Flash and and Nightwing keeps stepping in and being like, Hey, hey, come on, let's kinda tone this down and you know, and then later there's a scene with just the two of them where uh Dick says to Damien, like, Listen, we you know we, you and I really have to appear like more of a unified front on this. And Damien says, you're absolutely right. Apology accepted. And I just thought that it was like, oh, that's really clever. Like I've seen, you know, not everyone I think does Damien very well, frankly, but that was just enough of the kind of inherent entitlement that the character sometimes has that, that I, I am priest. Priest still has it, I think. Yeah, the guy Priest really... totally keys in to those mm-hmm. characters super quickly. 
Yeah. And and everything comes off really well. And that's very present in in the final issue as well that he scripts. Mm-hmm. Because ev- all of the characters seem not only true to themselves, but you feel that you could give this book to anyone and everyone come away going, oh, I get who that Robin is. Mm-hmm. I get who Knight is. I get the difference between those characters as well. Right. In a way that I think other writers would have much more problem doing. It's a super tight crossover. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a really genuinely impressive. Yeah. Uh, although I, I do have the caveat of uh, whoever the artist is on issue 19 for Deathstroke is clearly overwhelmed. Like they, they were not supposed to be doing, I think, a team book because there's yeah, Carlo Pagayon, right? Who might be doing? Who's probably do? I think doing the art over Larry Hamas breakdowns. Uh, yes, and so yes. admittedly, maybe it doesn't sync up really well. But there's a couple of shots where, if the colorist hadn't been talented, I would not have been able to identify the squiggles. And in fact, I think the editor jumps in and adds a couple of identifying balloons because it's done in a super long shot. And you're like, mm, I have no idea who those six or seven characters are. Um, so, yeah, not 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 going to be mistaken for George Perez anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> what else did you buy cheap from Marvel, Jeff? Oh, do you want to know what I bought cheap or? or well, or I want to know what you read. OK, well, actually, one that I did did buy cheap and then turn around and read was uh Punisher Born which is uh which sounds is that awesome. It's Jason Born? Exactly. It's Frank Castle meets his nemesis Jason Born and the two oh of them God. are only How armed. Great would that be? Yeah. How great would that be? It would be awesome. It would be awesome. The two of them meet in a public bathroom and beat each other to death with uh giant rolls of toilet paper. It's the best. Uh it's it's the four part miniseries by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson of Frank Castle's time in Vietnam and sort of a quote unquote origin of the Punisher. Uh, and I remember buying it and being super underwhelmed. And I remember Matt Turrell. I think Matt Turrell mentioned it recently in a, huh, I wonder if I should pick this up kind of way because I have fond memories of it kind of thing. And so I myself was like, hmm, you know, I trust Matt. I should pick this up. And of course, as you know, I really was impressed with Ennis's, uh, some of Ennis's recent work. And I'm like, yeah, I got to give this another try. It's Punisher Max, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I got to say Punisher Born still does not hold up for me. Um, and I think I hate to, I hate to do it because I feel like he's such a, um, He's so passionate about the book, but I feel like Derek Robertson in particular is where things really fall short for me because it's I, – I can totally see that because I think Derek Robertson, for all his passion for many projects, is a weak artist. Yeah, he kind of is. He kind of is. He's inked by Tom Palmer here, and it's interesting the degree to which Tom Palmer does uh, does not look like Tom Palmer. You know what I mean in the sense of he – Palmer really does do do his best to serve the penciler and not push his own style in. But Robertson's work is, yeah, it's I'm not crazy about his some of his storytelling choices. And as things go on, I think his his I mean, Robertson's always been a difficult artist for me because, of course, I remember first being aware of him when Transmet. Uh, started and of course hit big 
And Robertson was, I think, probably very well served by Transmet in the, in the way that he was able to flesh out the backgrounds of everything and give everything sort of a, a bustling life. And that, you know, but also that Ellis is working in a very, um, Transmetropolitan is so cartoony as, as a book anyway. You know, yeah, and yeah. it's a little harder to do that when you're doing stuff with Vietnam or at least at the level of Vietnam that you are trying for. And so it's interesting to me, born the trade is like 101 pages of which I think only 80 pages of which are um, comics. Yeah. And the next 20 pages are um <laughs> cover sketch galleries and then Robertson talking about how much the book meant to him and how he used the editor, Nick Lowe's dad was in Vietnam and provided him with photo references. So they run some of those photos. They show Robertson's sketching process for the creation of the characters. So it's clear it means a lot to him. And I'm, but I still look at it and I'm like, this is too cartoony. There's not enough focus. Like he clearly got nervous and decided if he really embellished the shit out of those trees, you know, it's Frank Castle. He clearly decides to use different photo references on different pages. It's there's just bad choices. There's bad choices. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of a shame. So sort of a, sort of a bummer that did not work. The thing that is absolutely weird is, um, Several weeks ago, I not so not part of this sale. I bought Spencer and Locke number one because I think I like trying to buy uh comicsology submit stuff every once in a while to kind of you know see what the kids are doing. Uh, I, I don't remember if you if Spencer and Locke stuck for you when like I think it got a brief blurb at uh Bleeding Cool. Uh, it got a brief write up at Hollywood Reporter because David Pippos uh, reached out to me. Oh, did he? Oh, did you do the yeah. write-up? I for a Hollywood Reporter, yeah. Oh my god! Like we, I didn't, so I didn't, crazy. I didn't review. It was literally like an announcement thing. The the comic wasn't done at the time, I think. I right. Might be wrong. So, so, so the first issue of Spencer and Locke is the. It's not telling you anything you don't know, Graham, but it it's basically kind of a David proposed with art by Jorge Santiago Jr. and it's sort of like what if Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, what if Calvin grew up to be like a tough noir police detective and Hobbes is his uh, partner slash or not imaginary character sort of thing? The I, the pitch that David gave me mm-hmm. and the reason I was like that this is something that would be understood by Hollywood Reporter readers right. is Calvin and Hobbes meets Sin City. Yes. Yeah, that actually is uh sadly uh, entirely accurate. And there's ways in which I was like the very first page has some stuff cuz they they the flashbacks are all done in very Watterson style and then they jump back to sort of the more modern where Spencer has grown up, managed to get out of the old neighborhood you know, but is drawn back because his, uh, you know, his old love slash nemesis, Sophie, uh, I don't know what her last name is, ends up being killed. And he's like, I got to look into this. 
it, it, in some ways it sort of reminds me of the last of the innocent, uh, arc that, um, Brubaker did on criminal, but with mm -hmm. Calvin and Hobbes instead of Archie of the Archie characters. Yeah. yeah. Except, except it's, it's, it's way so direct. The first page, which is sort of a Watterson style thing where, where Spencer, the Calvin equivalent, uh, is riding his wagon in the middle of the night being like, how, where are the brakes on these thing? And then his mom finds him and then proceeds to beat the shit out of him. I was just like, Oh, this is totally completely wrong. No, this is such a huge mistake, but I have to admit, I got to the end of the fucking book and I was like, I want to read this again. Like, it's really odd. Like there's a, like, I'm just like, that's a bad choice. That's not smart. And there's also a way in which it is so heavily derivative. I'm always a little antsy, I guess, as artsy fartsy ex lit major that it's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing if you're doing like a distant pastiche, but the closer you get to a strong pastiche, the more it weakens the impact of your own story. And so this is so strong that part of me is like, Oh God, if you haven't read Calvin and Hobbes, this, most of this stuff, this story probably doesn't work. But of course, who on the planet hasn't read Calvin and Hobbes? And weirdly, the various scenes of kind of violence and even the violence where there's a fight scene that breaks back and forth between the present and the past, uh, was, it was effective. It kind of worked. I, I'm really shocked by it, but, uh, I actually turned around and haven't bought the second issue yet because <laughs> because someone bought a bunch of Marvel comics. But I <laughs> I I actually God help me, I think I will read the second issue of it. So it was You might even read more, Jeff. I, I really might read the whole it. series. Maybe. We will see. Uh speaking of reading the whole series, uh Moon Knight by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood, as you remember, I was really blown away by the first six you, yeah, issues you, of that. You were big fun. Exactly. The conclusion of that arc, which I guess was issues like six through ten, like first yeah, one through five, six through ten. Six through ten I thought was kind of not a total dog, but brought so little new to the mix. And also was not satisfying on its own that, uh, I was, I had sort of given up on the book. Um, and then for whatever reason, probably because that's another one that you can get for obscenely cheap in the Marvel. Yeah. I was going to say like, be because it's there and it's cheap. Yeah. Uh, I bought the individual issues to wrap up the arc. Uh, cause I think they, they leave. I don't know if Smallwood's sticking around. I'm assuming Wait, he's not. But issue 14 is the end of the Lemire and Smallwood's run. It sure okay. seems like the way they talk about it on the letters page. I so, honestly thought it was issue 18, but sure. Okay. Well, I, I could be wrong. But um, uh, but it sure, like I said, it seems very validatory, you know, thanks, guys. This was amazing sort of thing. So 11 through 14 manages to wrap up the arc and retell Moon Knight's origin uh, and ended up being more satisfying. It really did. Uh, which is weird because part of me is it could be that honestly, if you read it all, all 14 issues or all three trades as a oneer, I wonder if there wouldn't be diminishing returns in a way because, because 
Lemire basically does the, oh, this is reality. Or is it? Oh, no, it is. Or is it? Oh, no. Or is it? But not in a new, not in a awesome three stigmata of Palmer Eldritch kind of way, but more in a kind of like, um, yeah, this was cool the first time I did it, and I, it should be cool the second time I do it, right? But somehow the third time, perhaps because he starts riffing between the origin of of Moon Knight and Moon Knight's origin is presented in a way that is a blend of yeah, we're stripping away some of the ridiculous bullshit from his original origin, but we're also keeping the weirdness from his sort of altered reality kind of thing. They, mm-hmm. it was, it was not bad. I really have to say that it would be something that I hope that you get a chance to check out, like from the library or something, and we could discuss. I, as... I know that I read the first few issues of Marvel Unlimited. Uh huh. Uh, and my takeaway was I'm not really digging the story because it seems to be trying too hard, but my God, this art is amazing. Yeah, the art is amazing. Well, it is. Believe me, if this was being done by another artist, I don't think you could really st- – I-, I wouldn't have stuck around for it. So, But really good. Also similar in a – can't believe that he's sort of doing the same thing over and over again and isn't it time that this get wrapped up is Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, issue four, which – has at least the series is such a strange little uh humor comic with an underlying you know sort of supposed serious uh, uh gimmick to it that mm. but is but I guess would mainly be described as kind of a comic series it's the fourth issue has parts that I found incredibly satisfying and yet at the same time I was also found myself being like this still isn't over yet. Like it really, there's something fell apart on the pacing. I think between issues three and four, where but did, yeah. didn't this like isn't this series amazingly delayed? Or am I imagining that? No, no, like no. Absolutely. Were, I feel like people were talking about this series more than three months ago. Put it that way. Oh yeah. Like I, I feel like I started buying it a year ago. And one of the things that kills me is is that is that that I, I don't. I don't know quite why it's coming out on a quarterly basis as a trade. And part of me is like, as a trade, it should read much better, except at the same time, there's parts where it's every time it, it, the issue wraps, it feels like, okay, and now we're going to get to this point in the story. Honestly, issue four feels like he did a rewrite of issue three in many ways. And it's, because it hits exactly the same emotional beats that I remember from the third issue. And God help me, I was just too lazy to go back and reread it. And so part of me is like, I don't know why there's going to be yet another issue. Also, I, I got the sense that people were very confused that it was not a four-issue series, maybe because it's called Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. But Yeah, I just looked. It's a five-issue series, and it did start a year ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's it's... It's still impressive. I think, I think Abe might have mentioned on his Tumblr that it's, it's actually kind of hard to have like comedy in, in comic books sometimes isn't as funny as, as it thinks it is. Uh, but four kids walk into a bank is pretty consistently funny. Like the, the, the comic pacing on it is 
perfect. It's just the unfortunate storytelling. The the actual plot is where things really kind of goes cuckoo. Um, mm. I did get to that Jim Aparo. I finally finished up volume one of the best of Jim Aparo, and right before the end is that amazing Jim Aparo and Sergeant Rock. Oh, it's the, the best one. So, oh, it's so great. Amazing. It's so great. I loved it at the time, but I forgot just how absolute, cause I actually forgot that there's a sequence where, um, Aparo is like, holy shit, they've altered my script. And then he, so he actually has to call Bob Haney and Haney's like, I don't remember what he says. He's like, stall him. But Haney, you show Haney, it shows Haney and he's like this, the powerful bearded guy. He like basically grabs his rifle and his German shepherd and runs out into the woods to protect himself so he can get to a payphone. And then he calls Murray Boltonoff, the editor and Boltonoff has to phone in it's details so to apparel. Oh my God. It is. so, And it, it's amazing how, um, again, I just think that, uh, Haney and Apero are just a, a genius team because there's no way that this isn't like a ridiculous camp masterpiece. And yet what's amazing is, is everyone is so straight faced in it that it really does work to me like the best camp in the sense of yeah. you, you can take it seriously and it works. It just has to be insane or you have to be insane or you can read it and just be like, holy shit, these guys are pulling my legs so goddamn hard. Um, really? Oh, my God. So good. Uh, Suicide Squad number 18. Did you did you read it? Are you keeping up with it? I feel like you're not keeping up with it. In no, I am. And... I am now keeping up with it. Uh, in, in, my ease with keeping up with these titles became a lot easier when they started sending PDFs of all their releases. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm keeping up with it. That's that's the one that has the wonderful 2000 AD shout out. Oh, what's – wait. Which one's the 2000 AD? Zod operating on his own brain. Oh yeah, what's why? What is that from in two thousand? That's a that's a, a Kevin O'Neill, a famous Kevin O'Neill cover. Oh, uh, is that it? The character like jumping out, saying, "I operated on my own brain," <laughs> and I know it's a two thousand eight shout out because I told Rob Williams that I was on on Twitter. Uh-huh. I was like, "I know what you're doing," and he was like, "Yep, <laughs> yep." Oh yeah, yeah. It does. It does not surprise me at all. Uh it's. It's interesting. I'll I'll see where it goes. The great thing about Williams is the stories just always have such tremendous momentum that even in this issue where I was kind of like, it's a little underwhelming. Also, there's part of me that really was very skeeved out by the, I guess it's safe to say I'm not a Harley Quinn Rick Flag shipper. So <laughs> the, the fact that they get around to doing it in this issue and – even kind of with um, Williams playing it off as a joke, I was like, eh, uh. "Oh no, we'll see where it goes." I found I found it like a little, like enjoyable and wacky, and I'll check into the the next one. But considering that this is this is something that that Williams has been building for for a long time, it also felt kind of slow for me. I don't know, underwhelming, I guess. Oh no, I, I I'm actually very into it and I, I i i'm enjoying the fact that like sure he's been building this for a while but it's clearly not the final story no i wouldn't think so at all either you know like yeah. it's it's clearly like you know 
maybe the penultimate story, but definitely not the last one. Yeah, no, I feel that. And yet I, maybe that's the problem. I don't know what it is. It just, I was underwhelmed for whatever reasons, but, uh, but that, but apparently that is the difference between you and me. And then I've got a few other things that I just don't think I'm going to run down really. I don't think there's, yeah, I think those were just the big ones that I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Well, I, I want to mention something that you can pick up tomorrow Ooh. and our listeners can't, but can look for online, which is, do you know about the New York Times magazine tomorrow? Yes. Yeah, I do know about that, which the, sounds the pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. The Hazenga strip is great. I mm-hmm. really like the Hisenga strip and I really like the, um, David Mascicelli strip as well. They're all online. They're all on the New York Times website. Oh, great. Fabulous. Uh, but so people should look them out. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's called like the comics issue. I could be wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. New York Times magazine on the Sunday, the day after we're recording this, the day before we drop this, the Metro writers, uh, have given stories over to be adapted by a number of cartoonists, mm-hmm. including Hazenga, including uh, David Mascicelli, Franco, uh, Francesco Francavilla's got a story in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of, of really interesting choices of creators. And the, the work is, it's really solid. I really like it. And I think it's a really nice um, model to follow as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. Thank you. I will definitely check that out. I remember seeing the news story, I think, uh, somewhere. The Beat or Bleeding Cool or both. And I was like, oh, I gotta look out for that. So. Graham McMillan, I think it's, I think it's closing time. I think, I, I believe that is, uh. As Sammy Sonic once said. God damn it. That's the worst part. As soon as I said it, I'm like, oh please. You know, anyone else would, what, would be. What is, what, what was, that's the, I, oh god, I can't even remember the chorus. What was the chorus? There was just like someone yelling. About not going home, or was it time to go home, or do you know what I'm talking about? The semi-sonic song? You've just gone. Are you there? I'm shunning you, Graham. I'm shunning you, <laughs> and for what it's worth, I happen to know absolutely what the chorus is, and I'm not what? going to tell you. I'm, no, I'm not no, telling you. I'm no, not telling anyone. No, no, absolutely no, not. Absolutely no, not. Jeff, Jeff, you have to tell us, otherwise people are going to go and look it up on YouTube. You've got to tell us to stop us looking up on YouTube. It's your duty as a human being. I know who I want to take me home. Oh, you're totally right. Oh, man. That was a terrible song. I hate you so much. This is going to be stuck (laughs) in my head for the rest of the fucking weekend. You're the one who said it. That's, I, you made me tell you! You made me tell you, Graham! That was terrible of you! Shame on you for bringing it up, and then you fucking shamed me into saying that fucking chorus, and I made a point to try and say it in the same, in a most monotone, so it's only stuck in my head. Okay, no, wait, Jeff, Jeff, just, just get out of your head. Think about, uh, um, a taste of honey, or think of other earworm songs. What other are good other earworm songs that you like? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm practically incontinent with rage, Graham. I just, I can't think. Of <laughs> I don't even want to think of it. Bird house in your soul. Come on, go for the maybe giants. <laughs> Istanbul, not Constantinople. There you go. Uh, yeah, actually, no, you know, what do you think? 
I, I think Anna Ng is a surprisingly earworthy. I love Anna, Anna Ng. <laughs> that, yeah. that actually, no, Don't Let Start is probably my favorite thing my giant song. Don't Let Start we, is pretty great too. Yeah. This yeah. is the weirdest fucking episode we've done in a while. <laughs> you say that, but it was just weeks ago where we were like, Wrap something and you were like, oh, that was the weirdest one we've done in a while. And I don't I, even I, remember. We're ju- clearly just in a spiral. Yeah, I think so. They might be giants. Introduced me to the song Frankenstein by the Egg of Winter Group. Oh, sweet. First time I ever heard it was when they were covering it. I, I did not believe it was a real song for years because I never heard the original for years. And I honestly thought it was one of those cases where like they made up, you know, mm-hmm. they made up a band and it was really an original song. Wow. I, I was in a bar and they played the original song. And I remember actually being like, what the fuck? Jesus Christ, this is a real thing. <laughs> hey, just out of curiosity. Like, I was upset. I know this isn't the the main point of your story and therefore I'm ruining it. But what were you doing in a bar? Like, did you hang out in bars when you were young and impressionable, even though you didn't drink just because all your friends drank, therefore you had to hang out in bars? Yes. Okay, just that's tracking. what you do when you're young. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there, right. used to be, there used to be a bar in Aberdeen when I was in college called the Wild Boar. That I mean, kind of bar, kind of bar, kind of cafe. Sure, but um, yeah, we'd hang out in there a bunch, and they would have a very eclectic um, jukebox. I say jukebox, but it was like just whoever was in charge of the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also the first place I ever heard a Who song that I liked. And again, I was also almost apoplectic. <laughs> <laughs> when that happens, I was like, who is this? And someone's like, it's who? And I was like, no, it can't fucking be the who. I no, hate the who. I who hate the who. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It can't be the who. And, um, that was Arm- Armenia, City in the Sky. I don't the- know it. Out. Yeah. I'm kind of happy that I, I'm sort of part of me is like, hmm, well, I, I, I don't want to hear it because then, because I really don't want to go into liking the who. I think that would be. Do you all say the Who? I do, I do, absolutely. I hated the Who. For, I hated Who for years, mm-hmm. I, for the worst reasons. One, their music. Uh, but I didn't know that much of their music. Like I knew like maybe two Who songs. Mm. But the real reason, mm-hmm. Roger Daltrey's hair. I shit you not. That was why I hated the Who. Roger Daltrey's hair. You know, understandable. Understandable. Roger Daltrey's hair is yeah. it's ridiculous. But I really was like, I cannot like a band. That is Roger Daltrey's here. And then I heard like a quick uh, one while he's away. And I was like, I really like this song. Shit. Maybe I like the who. Yeah, a quick one while he's away. No, there's bits and pieces where they've done great stuff. But generally, I, uh, I I detest them. Yeah, I really do. I don't I don't know why. And I say that, but, you know, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. For whatever reason, most of the time, I really do not like the who. But so did you like play pool? Like you're not a pool player, right? No. No, literally, we would we would hang around and just talk shit. That's all it was. Wow, wow. So did I, you pay? Did you pay for rounds? You didn't pay for rounds because you weren't drinking, were you? <laughs> like this has suddenly gone in the weirdest direction. I would pay for rounds. Yeah, you would. Okay, I, I drink liquids. I just wouldn't be drinking beer. Well, I mean, do they charge you to drink? What would you drink? Would you sodas? You just drink. I would have orange juices, Jeff. Wow. And they charged you for those? Yeah. Wow. I feel like, I feel like everything about this conversation is blowing your mind right now. It is. It's tripping the shit out of me. And it's not just the drugs that I took 45 minutes ago. I'm actually interested. Because, you know, not not across the 
board, but as a general rule of thumb, if you order a, a non-alcoholic drink in, in a bar, a lot of times you don't get charged because they assume that you're the designated driver and you get you drink free. That has never happened to me in a bar in my life. Really? Interesting. Interesting. In in Scotland, in England, or in America. Never happened to me. Really? Well, we'll have to – we should go. Because I swear, it's it's one of the things that I find amazing about uh, the bars at um, the Kennedy School is they don't – because I – you know, I drink a little bit, but not very much. And I don't, honestly, their, their beers are a little too hoity toity for me. So I usually just drink soda water or like a Coke or something and they do not charge me. Sometimes it's a little bit different for orange juice, I think. But anyway, so you used to get charged for that. Interesting. So people would buy you your drink and you would also buy rounds. Fascinating. <laughs> just talk shit. Listen to the music. You did not, you did not play pool or snooker or whatever the hell they had over there. No. Nope. In particular, like this place didn't have pool or snooker either. Really? So it's not like I was like, it was there and I was like, ah, yeah. Well, once you it said was... bar cafe, it sort of made sense to me. It was kind of like, oh, okay. I, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't like what you think when someone thinks of like, you know, a British pub. It wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, yeah, it was like a bar cafe place. Like it was somewhere between the two. Wow. Okay. Everyone, for those of us who really were like, I remember the classic we thought we were going to end and then Jeff and Graham went off on some strange riff. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, is there anything else you want to know about my, my twenties? <laughs> So much I should not, I should so much. Oh my god. I just I'm overwhelmed at the opportunity. But I'll let it pass for everyone else's sake. So uh you know, I'll think of it, I'll think of some of it for next time. Graham McMillan, do you want to tell uh, people where they can find us and all that other important stuff that I don't know how to do? Sure. I'm going to tell you that we're on the internet. Uh Show notes for this episode and for all the episodes can be found on waitwhatpodcasts.com. We also have a web presence. That's right. I'm calling it a web presence at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com and we are on Twitter at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff, the lovely Jeff Lester, is on Twitter solo at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D and I'm on Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. We are also a Patreon-supported podcast which means we are incredibly grateful to everyone who listens for more than just the time they spend listening to us. But Jeff has a lot more to say about that. Or do I? So, yeah, uh, basically, we're incredibly, incredibly grateful to the people uh, on Patreon who uh, throw us the the uh, little spot adosh to um, – you know, thank us for all the years of toil and free conversation that we continue to provide. I have to say, I'm still very proud. I think it's more of a thing. But do you remember, Graham, where you were kind of like, oh, man, we're coming up to that point where we're going to have 100 episodes on iTunes and then we're going to have to start phasing them out because, you know, it seemed like everyone only had just like 100 uh, episodes and, on and iTunes. And then we broke it. Yeah. And then we broke that limit and like nothing happened. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think they, I think a lot of people were actually using other yeah. hosting services or whatever that capped it, but but not us. So 
God help us, we occasionally hear from people who are like, yeah, I decided to go back and start listening to you guys from the very beginning. Um, and you, you're beautiful fools. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so thank you to people who, uh, throw us the, the cash, uh, on Patreon. It is something that we greatly appreciate. It helps keep us motivated. As you know, the Baxter building, which is the monthly discussion, uh, between Graham and I, where we reread the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, um, is an ongoing odyssey, uh, into oddness. I, I, I gotta love that alliteration. I, that was, that was spontaneous. Spontaneous alliteration. I, I really, I'm very impressed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, it, it continue to sort of inspire us and just make us, uh, feel warm. And also in the case of me, also kind of help underwrite, um, something when something terrible happens, such as, uh, Marvel just goes insane on Amazon with their digital prices. I just, I, I still don't understand what's happening separate and apart from that though. We really do want to thank all of our supporters, but uh, especially I want to give shout outs to the kind crew at American ninth art studios and Empress Audrey queen of the galaxy. We're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as their, um, continuing mercy as far as our celestial uh, continuance is concerned. Also not bad. That's right. We're still here. We're still here. We're still bringing you, I was going to say quality episodes. We're still bringing you episodes. <laughs> let, let's, let's just leave it at that. You know what? Honestly, Graham, I think you're being far too hard uh, just because you made me say what the fucking course was to supersonics closing no. time. Hey, hey, no, put that out your head because we're thinking about um, Anna Ng now. Remember? Oh we're, right, we've changed the earworm. Don't you em don't you embrace the shitness? Just embrace the good. <laughs> oh my God, is don't you embrace the shitness like the title of a Britpop album? Because it totally should be <laughs> right. That's the name of Liam Gallagher's comeback album. It that makes so much sense. Don't that you makes embrace so the shitness? Open brackets, our kids. Close brackets. <laughs> Everyone, my understanding is we are taking an, uh, a surprise skip week. It was a surprise to both Graham and I because in a, a, a gift of the Magi-like twist, we both desperately needed to take next week off. Um, so you get a chance to recover from this podcast. Hopefully we will as well. And then in two weeks, we're going to be back with a Baxter building. And hopefully Graham remembers what issues that we're supposed to read. Nope. Even as you said... Baxter building, I was like, if Jeff asks me what issues we're supposed to read, I'm going to be so pissed because I can't remember at all. I can't either. Nope, but I'm going to look it up right now. Thank you. Because uh, that's the sort of quality professionalism we provide here. Speaking of, of quality professionalism, I've been hearing a lot of good things about uh, Spider-Woman by Dennis Ho Hopeless and Javier Rodriguez, and I just might pick up those first 18 issues for $6 and 20 cents. Um, I think that's the thing I might do. Cause, uh, Oh my God. Do you know, I didn't put it in the fucking show notes. That was the last episode. See, I don't think it... I hate myself. 
no. Did we not decide what I, issues we were doing? I don't think we did because I think, well, at the end of the annuals, I think I'm I not think even we sure like, we oh were. Oh my god, I'm, I'm so glad we're, we're not exactly. Doing that. I'm not sure we were actually speaking English uh, by the end of that. Uh, episode. I think that we were just making random bleeps well. and boards. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm looking up right now. Oh no, I did. I said we're doing um, 278, didn't I? 278? Yeah. We're, we're doing 271 through 277. Oh, maybe that's... Oh yeah, I've got the note 271 through 277 down here. That made no yeah, sense cause, to me. Yeah, because after, after that, we, it launches into an extended storyline that would take us all the way through like 284 and doing 14 episodes, 14 issues is a bad idea. All right. 271 through 277. We have two weeks in which all you got to do is read those seven issues. I think I think I might actually get ahead on my homework for a change. I've been saying this for the two years we've been doing this. Yeah. Yeah. You have been saying that for a long time. And no matter (laughs) what you say, something will happen that one of us, normally you, will read them (laughs) at the very last moment. Not always. I, I want to say the last time this happened, it was me. It's like, true. I, yeah. I was really badly playing catch up <laughs> the recording. But um, yeah, it's what not. Let me just take another diversionary tactic. We're so close to saying goodbye. I know you really want to get going. You're halfway out the door. I understand. But let me just tell you, Baxter building is so much fun for me. And yet, you would not believe how hard it is to read fucking Fantastic Four comics sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it's like the universe itself conspires against us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's, well, anyway, that's, this is a discussion for another time, I think. I, you know, not, and not just because we literally signed off and did the rest of this, but also because I think there, you know, I feel I've touched lightly on, kind of how difficult it is for me to make the time to read comics despite loving them. And I think actually that is a topic that we've covered the both of us before to an extent. It's because Jeff, we love comics, but sometimes we don't like comics. <laughs> we love the idea of comics. No, I'm not joking. Sometimes like you love the idea of comics and yet everything about actual, the reality of comics just seems exhausting and off-putting. That could be it. That probably could be it. Um, yeah. Hmm. Honestly, I had such a week at work that I, I had one day where I came home and I, and which is amazing because I actually was off last week. We went up to Humboldt County to watch the kinetic sculpture race, which was amazing, by the way. And we were gone from Friday. We got back Tuesday. So my work week only consisted of working Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And I'm trying to think which day it was, if it was Wednesday or Thursday. I think it was Wednesday. Was so bad, so hard, such a clusterfuck that I came home and I literally just stared at the ceiling for 36 minutes. <laughs> I set a timer, if, I laid on the couch, not, and I just... If it was not the fact that we were trying to close out this episode, I would tell you a story that ties in with that. No. Okay, Instead, well, you gotta tell me. Yeah. I will tell you off recording. Grand. Okay, fair enough. But that's, we're we're going to be back in two weeks. We're going to be talking Fantastic Four. We will be slightly more on message. Thank you very much for listening, as always. And bye! That's so lovely. Mm-hmm.